Hello and welcome to episode 292 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 14th of August 2019. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight joining me is Tom Francis. Hello. And Alex Wiltshire. Hello. Hi. 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 What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, it's a very <laughs> gradually moving house, which is oh. a lot of putting Warhammer in boxes. Do you, are you ashamed of any of the Warhammer because there's so much Warhammer? Uh, that's a, a pretty loaded question to ask me. <laughs> a man who's had a sort of plastic crisis that's stretched over the better part of three years. No, I feel more shame about a lot of... Actually, I'll tell you what, I feel more shame about the amount of tat the video game industry has loaded onto my life <laughs> over the course of eight years. Like, I've, I've made, and I may end up posting a Discord, basically a sort of nerd stuff amnesty pile. Because there's a lot of things that, like, I can imagine someone might want but there's no way they make any sense as charity shop donations. Like I have a Firaxis XCOM like uh Vigilo Confido kind of logo badge. And I think some pe- people love XCOM. Someone's yeah, going to want that. There's I value. Feel, I feel bad about putting that in my bin bag that I use for everything else. But nonetheless, I don't want this. And, <laughs> and the like, effort required to get make sure it goes to the someone yeah, it's, who would... It's several, like there's there's jewels of energy involved in me like finding a home for it so you end up just staring at at you know at tat basically like, we, we a- must all have a world in conflict hip flask somewhere or some <laughs> right, similar yeah. piece of like this is obscure enough that i can't easily find a home for it <laughs> and yeah and, and you feel guilty about binning stuff because the you know presumably there's some recycling value like the other thing is um like you know, steelbook collector's editions of PC games, which are the most useless objects on earth. Because yeah. you can't reuse the discs because you would just, well, even if you wanted to reinstall the game, you would just download it because that would be the most recent version of the game. Yeah. You wouldn't install it from four CDs and then update it. Yeah. And the code is, you can't pass on or, or do anything with. So that's, that's dead to you. So you've just got to really love DVD cases really and sometimes the art on them is quite nice which is a huge waste of effort from everyone involved <laughs> so yeah so that that has been the greater crisis to be honest is just figuring out what to do with all that stuff other than charity shops and, and recycling bins. i'm thinking this, after this was burn it in the in the back garden there's a big plasticky fire there Alex. that's okay like, it's, it? a good fire. it's like the black smoke would be a really good symbol for it the yeah. waste the pointlessness the guilt i think that we should lean into it embrace the black smoke right yeah yeah i mean i i I like lost as well for a while but (laughs) the um no i mean yeah no the 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 warhammer shame is pronounced ask me how i feel about it after the removal men have have come and gone (laughs) pronounce judgment on you (laughs) i mean i i don't think they're going to be in a position to judge they're just there to move tables why are you throwing away the steel book um (laughs) maybe they will want it it. but honestly i may well need to do like some kind of amnesty because i've also got so much dota stuff that's like you can make a suit of armor out of it out of steel collector's editions of dawn of war games (laughs) (laughs) maybe uh yeah so that's uh i don't know it's um it's Eventually everything will go in a box and then leave, which is, I think, my philosophy. Um, but like, um, I'm looking forward to this process being, being done. Um, but it is also a really good opportunity to purge the accreted kind of yeah. tat yeah. of, of so many years. It's amazing how much stuff that yeah. feels too valuable to bin, even though it has s- no value. <laughs> I just wonder how it gets in the house because Every single one of those items had to be carried, like, specifically over the threshold of my hat. Like, yeah, I'm going to say it's probably Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, but, like... Well, there's two of us it's in just, this house. <laughs> true. That's true, actually. Yeah, you've got two 
to game event. I would say most of the Warhammer stuff was Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although Pip's painting some train now, so you know that's and those are big pieces. So you know, it's not making it easy for ourselves. Um, yeah, no. I mean, like I think about this because I know I, I remember viscerally moments when I used to work for PC Gamer where it'd be like. Uh, we gotta get rid of, like, got, there's this box and it's just a bunch of Dishonored Collector's Edition stuff. Does anyone want it? And you go like, oh yeah, alright, but you, I, I mean, the answer to that is always no. Like, even if you momentarily think the object is cool, look at it, touch it then, and then be rid of it because you will never interact with it ever again. And, uh, time only moves in one direction and the direction <laughs> that time moves in is the opposite direction to the part of you that needs a Corvo mask, right? <laughs> like that, that person who needs that is always like four years younger than you currently are. And you're racing away from that point. But the thing is you might, you might be racing towards a point where you're setting up like a little YouTuber kind of set, like for, Oh, and fuck. you need all that. Set, Suddenly I, you need that shit for the background. Yeah. Oh, I could, no. I could set dress the shit out of some, I, some Billy bookcases and, <laughs> and, and record the, the fuck out of a let's play in front of them. But I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to, but if anyone is setting up a, uh, you know, anyone is setting up a, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the answer. Just reach out to, you know, nascent new media companies. And there's lots of them in, in this area and just say like, <laughs> do you guys need tat for your wall of tat? Because yeah, but they would, yeah, man, no, maybe that I is, will shovel, shovel it into your, I would honestly, yeah, I would also accept some kind of buyback scheme like uh, maybe orchestrated as an agreement between game publishers <laughs> like just recall this stuff maybe once a year at gamescom people could just show up with like bin bags for other stuff and <laughs> tat amnesty <laughs> yeah yeah honestly I, well gamescom is, is this is topical it's like next week or whatever right a tat amnesty at gamescom people love that i've seen people i've seen people lose their minds for farming simulator lanyard at gamescom yep. <laughs> right like i i mean i tweeted about this but i'm throwing away bin bags full of lanyards do you want to commemorate a sims 4 press trip from 2014 i don't but maybe i could whip that overhand into a crowd at gamescom and make make a teenager's day can you conveniently take all of this stuff to germany <laughs> not easily <laughs> that's the first problem but you know and also there'd be the, the, the technically smuggling i believe if they are of any value Maybe you could just have to make the case that this stuff is of so. Say that it's a gift to Germany and send it to the, like the address, like find like the, the GPS sort of address of the front doors of Gamescom and have it delivered there and then maybe, write on the little import kind of label a gift for Germany. Yeah. Maybe I could, maybe I could get like a store mannequin or something or a big teddy bear or something like, um, bedeck it in lanyards and then like ship it. <laughs> to Germany on a Euro rail or something like Paddington, like a kind of tat Paddington, uh, like with like to be looked after by the first games fan that, that finds it. That for some is, reason I'm just picturing like for some reason DEA agents ripping open the teddy bear and just finding like hip flasks and weird hats. And, yeah, exactly. We got a case of smuggled tat here, boys. <laughs> yeah. God, like, I mean, sort of, I uh, mean, class D. <laughs> We've got these, like, boxes of, I think Pip put these back from E3, like, sub, uh, Funko Pop Bethesda figures. Ooh. So it's like, do you want, sub like, Funko Pop? I know, and that's saying something. Do you like, do you want like a, do you want like a chibi Emily Caldwin? No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. And um, I, the thing is, you identify like the very top tier of potential tat, like here. Like, oh, yeah. just think about the depths below. I know. <laughs> 
chivy. I got plants versus zombies gardening gloves, but I'm keeping those. <laughs> well, I had those as well. We use them, and they're rotting in the in our <laughs> shitty shed now. Yeah, they're rotting in my shitty shed too. <laughs> I texted I texted the biggest Bethesda fan I know with a photo of this item and said, "Do you want this? Because seriously, you can have it." And I got no back, which tells you something. <laughs> Uh, yeah it's actually though it's kind of a relief as soon as that stuff's out of the way I own almost nothing else I own like this <laughs> <laughs> a computer Warhammer men some clothes yeah. a lot of and a lot of those clothes are, are games industry shirts I've had two purges of them already because <laughs> I don't even um I now do go to a gym but even then I realized when I go to the gym I like I had always assumed that there would come a day where I would go to a gym that was the first thing I assumed and that, that actually did actually come to pass and I thought when that happens I am going to want to wear this APB reloaded t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> that's the time yeah because I'll be sweaty and that is what people do in the gym and, and they need to sweat into an object of clothing that they hate and that's how I understood that it worked and then I entered this process and even even though it was one-on-one physical training, I would be too embarrassed to wear that. It raises <laughs> yeah. oh, too shit. many questions. Well, I didn't realise there are other people in the gym. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't realise that, oh no, I still feel a lot of the same shame. I feel outside, um, you know, and while I accept that I am a, I am a sweaty mess, like I can, I can find dignity in small things like wearing a plain tee. And so, you know, into the, and then, so that actually did go to a charity shop and I'm fascinated by the fate of these items. I really hope... You want to put a tracking chip in it, really. I think that's probably unethical. (laughs) (laughs) But nonetheless, I really... I mean, because the bath must be full of this stuff. There's so many game journalists here and and former game journalists. But you don't see it much. You don't. You don't, but surely... I mean, I don't know. Like, I hope... If you work in a charity shop, let me know. Because I, I would... I would, I would love to know if this stuff gets bought because I really hope it does. And if it doesn't, I hope it gets recycled or taken away or one of them must have my oversized dog t-shirt from half Life two. That seems like a, I can imagine someone buying that. Yeah. It was a value, but it was a fucking enormous, (laughs) like most promotional t-shirts I've got. Yeah. But like no one's going to go to a charity shop to buy like a war thunder key ring, are they? (laughs) Like they're just not. War thunder, you say? Do you want it? Seriously, this, the, uh, I'll just have an please, open, yeah, just open please. house. <laughs> um, we should talk about, uh, video game. Actual games, like d- d- facts, digital yeah. ones. Yeah, them. Well, I mean, yeah, so, you know, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, Alex. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. Where have you been up to? Went up to Scotland. All right. There weren't no games for me there. <laughs> <laughs> so you came back. <laughs> so I came back. Um, it was really nice. I was going to say, yeah, I do, uh, my son, who is now 14, finished Spelunky while we were out there. Yeah, I wrote your piece. Super beta. Yeah, I wrote a little thing on my blog about it. Um, and, um, and I realized, so he first saw Spelunky when it came out as HD back in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Uh, and so that's seven years ago. Mm. So he saw it when he was seven. He's played it on and off since then, and now, seven years later, he, he beat King Yama, and he was really pleased with himself, and it was, yeah, it was a really nice moment. And I, yeah. I read, I, I wrote, but I mentioned it, but I'm um, in the piece I wrote, but I, um, we read the thing I'd written about him the first time he saw Spelunky, because I was interested in, he, he likes open-ended games, and Spelunky was just sort of fit the nexus of what he is interested in at the time, although he, couldn't play it he wouldn't play it he was too frightened of the ghost and mm. um 
And uh, so I wrote about it back when he was seven, and then he we read it together uh, after he beat Yama. And I was really pleased. I didn't know what, how he'd react, and he, he was just like lit up. He was really, really, oh, awesome. really happy. And he's like, I, I still really like open ended games. <laughs> oh, that's really, really like it is. Yeah, it's awesome. And he was really it must really be weird proud. to read about yourself yeah. on a public blog post from like seven years ago. Like, when yeah, you, how old was he then? Seven, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, and then so I said, Oh, would you? could I write about it again? And he said, yeah. And he was really pleased with what I wrote. Um, I don't think, but I don't think he understood what I was really getting out with it, which is probably just as well. <laughs> Cause it's, yeah. Anyway, that was, that was my gaming for two weeks. Lovely. It's real nice. There's going to be like a whole generation of children who grow up, um, having featured in op-eds about, games yeah. you can play with one hand while like cradling a baby <laughs> yeah uh, because there's one of there is one of those articles for every child that has been born to a games journalist <laughs> yeah yeah that's, that's yeah yes i kind of feel very quite a little bit guilty about that but then you also know that like they're all they're actual they're quite a lot of gaming parents mm. now like there's there's a sort of enough of them that it's almost worth doing it <laughs> but it's yeah i it is a, like a self it's a bit of flotsam, you know, because mm. you don't want to talk about your kids. No, nobody wants to hear you talking about their kids. You've know, you got kids. Like, it's just, it's boring, isn't it? Everyone has kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kids, isn't it? <laughs> it's just kids, isn't it? How are you, Tom? Alex's review of kids. <laughs> Seven uh, out of ten. I am good. Thanks. Shall I mention some video game news? Yeah, that's what excellent uh, idea. Because there was something I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, so Dead Cells has just had a new update, as it does from time to time. Um, but the interesting thing to me was that they are—they had a sort of like, what's the future of Dead Cells bit in their blog post. And the future of Dead Cells is that basically some of the team want to keep working on it, and much of the team want to work on something new, and are working on something new. But they are a workers' co-op where the company is equally owned by every employee. Like everyone has an equal share of the company and the profits. And, uh, so obviously that creates kind of an imbalance if some of those people are doing the work on dead cells and all the money from dead cells is being split equally between everyone and some people are no longer working on it. Hmm. Um, so I don't know exactly what the financial arrangement is, but basically they formed a new company to, so all the people who are working on dead cells now have formed a new company called Evil Empire and that will be the <laughs> dead cells company. And then they, all the people who work, work on the new thing are, are motion twin which is the company hmm. that made Dead Cells. Oh, right. right. So the, the old name is going to the new yeah, game. Yeah, which I, struck me as weird at first. And then I thought, actually, it makes a lot of sense because the new game will need the name recognition yeah. of the developer because it doesn't have the name recognition of the of the brand. I assume it's not a Dead Cells game. Uh, well, I don't know that at all. Um, whereas the people who are making Dead Cells, they don't need any name recognition because they've got the Dead Cells name. But they're all in the same office still. They're still just, you know, working alongside each other. Um, it's just that because they own the company, they need to... Uh, it makes sense to split it up so that the people still making Dead Cells, I assume, get... Uh, do you think they get all the profit from Dead Cells from now on? Or? But presumably the new company, like what Motion Twin, still needs funds to develop the next game, though. So presumably Dead Cells funds have gone into that. Yeah. So You'd think. Yeah. Unless they've got some investment or something. I mean, they must all be doing pretty well for themselves. I guess I don't know how many of them are. If there are like 200 of them, maybe not. But... <laughs> <laughs> But it, it did well, <laughs> dead sales. And if they all, I mean, it's a very rare situation where like every employee got equal profit share on this huge hit. Yeah. It's quite cool. But it's an interesting yeah. decision because you, yeah. And calling it evil empire as well. So you can imagine like <laughs> it sort of, it would definitely uh, uh, justify resentment. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, the thing that was interesting to me about this is that uh, the idea that employees wanted to keep working on the same thing that they were already working on, which is, and at first I thought, that's insane. Who, <laughs> like, after you finish a game, you're like, oh my God, get this out of my sight. I never want to see it again uh, after an appropriate period of updating it. Um, <laughs> but of course, if you co-own the company, then the financial incentive is is part of your decision-making process too. Whereas like if you're at Ubisoft and you just released the thing you worked on for four years and killed yourself to get out, uh, I would imagine there are fewer people or smaller percentages of people there uh, wanting to keep working on the same thing because they don't profit from that. But when you have this big mega-selling game that's you know, continuing to do well, uh, workers are actually going to make the decision to keep working on it for you know both creative and financial reasons. Hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, it'd be interesting to... to um to f- see if it hurts either project at yeah, all. Like, yeah. you know, if, if, you know, what, because the other thing I would sort of try and want to understand how it works is if it's based entirely on what people want to do, how do you have balanced teams? Like if an equal number of programmers want to do completely different things, that's great. <laughs> but presumably you do need both sets of expertise on both projects, right. Yeah. Or at different times as well. Like, you know, if they're, if they're, presumably they have, they're going to have artists and, you know, concept artists and, and so on. And those people are presumably going to be more useful on pre-production on next project than they would be on Dead Cells updates, you'd assume. But nonetheless, you know what I mean? It feels like, uh, a strange thing to leave to chance, but that has always been the, the Valve conundrum as well. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of good in that there's usually a, a sort of, um, the people who are most useful on a completely finished and released game that now needs some more content are not the people most useful at the very start of a project where it's still in conceptual stages. They said they're still figuring out, you know, what it even is. And um, uh, so it's very uh, early. And the, yeah, there are just some jobs. I don't know how big they are. Um, I've been picturing sort of like 10, 15 people. Um, yeah, that was my impression. At like the much bigger studios um, where you get to like 50 to 100 people, uh, you've got people who are just would have nothing to do at the start of a project. You know, you're, um, uh, if you're doing like, like marketers and so on. Yeah, I guess. And yeah, just like the kinds of, um, things you do on a project that's finished are very different to the kinds of things you do on a project that starts. And if your team's big enough, some of those people just have jobs that are dedicated to one or the other of those roles, which is, you know, that's also the cause of these mass layoffs that happen. Or, uh, what's the word? Like cyclic layoffs or? Cyclically, cyclically, cyclically. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, big companies that regularly lay off their staff after a game release because mm. if you don't have enough projects to move those people onto, you don't need them for anything. So, um, it gets to be a bad situation. I'm interested to know if one of the reasons for the, the company making the new game to retain the old name is if it makes sense that, I don't know, if Evil Empire sort of crank out a Dead Cells expansion or two, and by the time that's all done, new game is actually ramping up into production, does that company then fold and everyone gets hired back into, <laughs> um, into motion twin. If you know what I mean? Like, would this yeah. be like, make sense? Yeah. Everything. And I wonder, hmm, um, I wonder if they, cause it'd be weird to sort of join late in the project and then still get equal rev share from the whole thing. <laughs> right. But it would also be weird if they then started making their own game after dead cells. Cause then you just got, you got, you just yeah. got yourself two companies. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I'm guessing that won't happen. Cause I, I think they're still sort of, you know, uh, notionally, intending to be uh, you know they still want to work together they're still uh, there wasn't like a big falling out or anything and they didn't have creative differences and decide to uh, they couldn't, yeah, right. couldn't collaborate it's just that um 
it does make sense to keep developing a thing once it's successful. And some of the people want to do that more than others, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting, though. Hmm. 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 Uh, shall we talk about a game, uh, what we all play that came out this yes. week? Yeah. <laughs> Dicey Dungeons? Yeah, Dicey Dungeons. <laughs> um, uh, and so we need to put a caveat at the front of Dicey Dungeons. Dicey Dungeons is, uh, Terry Kavanagh's new game, uh, with, uh, Holly Grazio and a, a team of other kind of people who have, have contributed to it. One of those people is, uh, the Creighton Crowbar Zone, uh, Philippa War. Yeah. Um, who was the script editor for all of the writing in the game. So I say that partly as a hooray for Pip kind of thing. I think this, I think this is Pip's first game credit. Mm. So that's cool. Um, but also as a, a caveat that, you know, or a disclaimer that we obviously do know someone who worked on this game because she lives in this house and, <laughs> and, uh, were she not out for Wings Wednesday, <laughs> she may even have been on this podcast. So, um, that caveat notwithstanding, um, we should talk about Dicey Dungeons because I think we'd all played early versions of yeah, this, but yeah. we should probably reapproach it from from scratch. Yeah, so it's a uh, roguelike game in which you play, uh, you you pick a class, um, and each class is a dice, <laughs> but also you roll dice, uh, <laughs> and it, then you have equipment that requires certain values of dice, and so you roll like three dice, and then you've got one bit of equipment that like does three damage, but you have to put an even dice into it mm. uh, to trigger that, and one that just how whatever the value of the dice is, it does that much damage, um, and each of those things can only be used once per turn, uh, and so it's kind of about strategically figuring out how to use the dice you've got. Uh, most classes have some way to re-roll the, value, the, the dice that aren't mm. useful to them or do something else with them. Uh, sometimes you'll just have, uh, as you progress through the game and go through like different, it's mostly just a series of fights, uh, kind of like Slay the Spire, um, and treasure chests that give you new equipment. And as you get new equipment, uh, you'll find things like ones where it's just, uh, something that does 20 damage, but you've got to put, um, 15, points into it total and you can just put any dice into it and yeah. once you put 15 total and it carries over to your next turn you can spend multiple turns investing in that um and so it it's funny how much it feels like slay the spire given that it's not cards yeah <laughs> and right. it's not even yeah. a deck builder it's not you, you know you build a load out of equipment but only in the same way you do in an rpg it's not yeah. like a deck thing but rolling dice and uh basically when you roll a set of dice you will have values that suit certain bits of equipment that that in your loadout and not others and that's a bit like drawing a hand of cards from a deck of, of possible mm. options so you always have some subset of all your possible tools are valid for this turn um and it's kind of it's a lot simpler because there's just fewer things to think about you usually only have sort of like four different abilities maybe in your whole um arsenal and it's pretty clear once you learn the basics how all those dice things work and then there's just a lot of tricksiness about um like if you have a power i think it's the warrior i had um so the warrior is, is the most basic class it mostly about just dealing damage but also uh has some items that build up shield so mm. one of their items is a spike shield a spike shield if you put an odd value dice into it it deals that much damage if you put an even value dice into it it gives you that much defense yeah so it'll block on the enemy's end uh the whole thing so the thing that's new to me actually is because I played an alpha version quite a long time ago and uh now that it's out it is themed as a game show which took me by surprise <laughs> I didn't know that um because when I last played it it was just a dungeon and now it's a game show about dungeons run by Lady Luck and there's a sort of running joke about um 
the 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 evils of luck and the um uh and being on the losing end of it uh and so you play as once you i don't actually know i completed it so i had a a a good streak and i don't know if this is because i knew the game already or if i just got lucky or if it got Mm. easier but um playing as the warrior then the thief then the robot, robot and then the inventor I won every time on my first try. Oh, wow. Um, and then I got to the witch. <laughs> and I did not win as the witch. And I thought it was, I made some, like, I, I messed up two different things. I sort of missed a, uh, a health pickup on a level I'd already cleared. I just forgot to pick it up before I went to the next level and you can't go back. And I was like actually quite badly hurt. So I needed that. Um, and then in the next fight, uh, I thought, a, a loud bird was <laughs> the enemy type, uh, which is fucking terrifying. It can silence you, which just prevents. Oh, that's fairly bad for the for the, for the yeah. witch. <laughs> I, I think I think it's like I don't know what the metaphor is there, but like the loud bird. I mean, if it deafened you, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I guess it's so loud you can't get a word. Yeah, your, yeah. your incantations cannot be heard. Yeah. Uh, but that means you have to put in two dice just to get back your basic functionality to do almost anything. Um, and then it was also, I can't what else it was doing. It was doing something really nasty to me every turn. Um, and I was just, there was this little, um, uh, icon in the top left hand corner that I experimented clicked, which turns out is the flea icon. And it does so with no further confirmation. <laughs> And that means they get in another round of free attacks oh, on no. you. And this was not, I mean, that, it would have almost been worth it if there was some like health pickup that I could have gone for or some easier opponent I could have gone for. But it, this is just the start of the level. This is the only thing I could do. So all I could do is just go back and fight the loud bird again, but now with much less health. <laughs> uh, and I got completely destroyed. And I thought, oh, that's so, so annoying. I broke my streak because I made a few stupid mistakes. And then I played as the witch two more times. And, no, the witch is just fucking hard. The yeah. witch is brutally difficult. So the witch... um, so the warrior and then the thief is just like the warrior, but they, they have a lot of low value, like abilities. They that also require... gain an ability from opponents, which is kind of neat. Yeah. yeah. So they have low value, um, sorry, equipment that requires low value dice and then ways to go duplicate those dice and get a lot of low value dice, split high value dice into smaller mm. value dice and, and all that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, that they steal a random ability of the opponent each turn. Um, and you can use that against them, which is cool. Uh, but it's, for the most part, it's kind of just different equipment and the same mechanics. And then uh, the robot, you don't have a fixed number of dice. You have a kind of bar. And every time you roll a new dice, it adds to that total. And if you max it out, if you go over your limit, uh, it crashes. And then all your abilities turn off and you can't use them. Um so it's like this sort of, you kind of, you want as many dice as you can, but you don't want to roll so many that you go yeah. over your limit. Cause it's kind of like blackjack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Blackjack, yeah. And I really like the robot. Uh, yeah. The robot's probably my favorite actually. Um, it's, uh, there's the ability I got when I played with the robot that I had a choice and it was like a level up choice. I think these are fixed. Um, and one of the options was a ability that just does however much damage, uh, that's the value of the dice you put into it. And it doesn't turn off when you overload. And so like, okay, I'll take that. And now I'll just overload myself every single turn. Cause there's no, like I'll use every, like before I, I play the last risky dice, hmm. I'll use all the dice I have on the abilities that, that, that will turn off. And then I might as well just keep rolling till I either, either, uh, overload or if you hit the exact right amount, you get jackpot and that gives you a bunch of free abilities that you can use. Um, 
And so that was just radically better than I can't imagine. Like I can't remember what the other it one was, but killer, I can't really. imagine it was anything like as good. Yeah. Um, and then you can upgrade it so it does that value plus two. And so every round I'm just getting that almost for free. Um, and then the inventor, uh, they, the equipment that they use at the end of every fight, they have to dismantle one piece of equipment they brought into the fight, which is kind of a big deal because these are your permanent, um, well, they can be permanent, uh, uh, abilities that you take through the whole game if you like them uh, but the inventor must destroy one of them at the end of every single fight and there are loads of fights uh, but when they do so they they turn it into a sort of free ability there will often be a lesser version of the thing that it was so if it was a sword that did x damage um, now it's a plasma gun that does five damage for free every turn you click it so for that fight it's it's um a free thing you use every turn, which is kind of good. It's usually a bit less dramatic than a, a full ability, but it's free, so that's cool. Uh, but that is just changing. And so you can never get used to your build. You never ha- you never settle into like, oh, here's what my run is. It's all about this. Every fight, you lost the ability that, that shaped that whole last fight, and now you've got a different one. Now I'm healing myself every turn, or now I'm doing something else, which is kind of cool. I, it, I think the balance is just about right now. I seem to remember having some pro- problems with this class when I played an alpha, and I didn't this time. Um... And I, there were a couple of things where I was just like, I'm never breaking this down. <laughs> I'm keeping this bit of equipment. It's really good. It supports my build. And then ev- everything else, every other bit of junk I find, I'll just slot into my spare slots and break it down at the end of the fight and I'll just get whatever I get. Um, and then the witch <laughs> is, uh, you have to roll, she has a spell book. And uh, at first, the only things in it are... Uh, an ability on one and an ability on two, but there are slots for every value a dice can have. And if you roll a one or a two, you put it into your spellbook and that lets you slot that ability into one of your four slots. So it's like you're sort of creating your equipment on the fly uh, from a list of six things that you, you bring with you. And when you start, because there's only two in there, if you roll anything that isn't a one or a two, you can't really do anything with it, except that one of the thing that's on your your one slot is a cauldron that can re-roll a dice and do damage, but only once per turn. And so it's both, it's complicated and it's, I think, uh, it's both more dependent on your decision-making um, and it's very easy to screw yourself and it's more luck-based, I think, because you just, if you, you're always going to have some good abilities and some bad abilities in that, in that roster of six. And if you just don't roll that, value you just can't have that ability this fight and so particularly as there are some creatures that are kind of elemental and therefore you kind of kind of want kind of want electricity or whatever yeah and i so the thing i remembered from from previously was that um uh i remembered it being kind of good because the thing that's confusing about it is like if you have an ability that say it requires a four to trigger um that might not be in the four slot in your spell book you might put it in the five slot and so now it's a thing where you've got to remember, I need to roll a five to get that ability. But then once I have it, fives are no good to me. I only need fours or it's an odd number and it needs evens. Um, and it feels, I always feel like I've done it wrong both ways. Cause if it's like, I had a really good ability that takes evens and I put it in my four slot. And then after I thought, this is dumb because I used up one of my evens to get the ability. And now I don't have it left to use it to power right. the ability. But then I think that's actually a, a fallacy. I don't think that. It's not like you're more likely to get a bunch of, uh, more likely to get different values on your dice. There's, you're just as likely to get all evens as you are to get a mix of evens mm-hmm. and odds. Uh, actually, that's not strictly true, but, <laughs> um, uh, it's, there's just a lot to get your head around. 
And then uh, now I think actually you do want to put your even... You actually kind of want to specialize in evens or odds because you end up getting a, some abilities that that can push your whole build in that direction. So I eventually found a version of that cauldron that re-rolls your, your dice uh, that will always re-roll it to an even value. Uh, and there's another one that always re-rolls it to an odd value. So you can just choose which one you want more of. And then there's another one that doubles your value of the dice, which of course is always going to leave you with an even value. And so if you had both of those, you'd have a lot of different ways of making even value things. And therefore you want both uh, abilities that trigger on even dice and also to put them in even numbered slots in your spell book so that you can spend even dice to, to slot them and then also spend even dice to, to play them. And it's, that, you know, that's taken me like three runs to get as far as thinking, oh, I probably want to do that. And I failed every time. <laughs> I think that's kind of what's right about it though. Like the thing I really like about it, uh, so I've only beaten it with the warrior and the thief so far, but, um, um, the thing I really like is that it is about figuring out how to create the, an engine for giving you the results you want. Mm. Like, say the spy is a really obvious comparison, but I think it has a sort of, um, part for, for a bunch of reasons, including the fact that it's just a big sandbox full of rules, basically from its enemies to its classes and things. It's just an opportunity to create lots of different, you know, ways of interacting with this dice Dice. system. Um, but the other, the other comparison I would make is, uh, like a deck building game or a, or a set building game, it has a sort of engine creation aspect to it. I wouldn't say necessarily in a fully like Zachtronics-y way, but I think a lot of the logic of it is I have these results. How do I turn them into the yeah. results I actually want? And some of those are decisions that you make before a fight based on the equipment you choose. And some of those are decisions you can actually kind of make on the fly if you see a particular opportunity. And it is really satisfying um, to like... Um, my my first victorious run was just as the warrior with a a gun and a hammer and the six the six shooter which shoots sixes so they did the uh, which you can keep activating as long as you've got sixes basically and so trying to understand the dice um and then coupling of that with i think i believe it's called the midnight charm which uh if you uh get it to add up if you feed it enough things to add up to 10 then it spits out three sixes, I think. Um, the number of the beast. Um, and then you can upgrade that. So it only requires a five. And then that creates this really interesting loop where, you know, you, you need to feed it a five, but if you roll a five and you also have a bump, which allows you to increase the value of a dice by one, then you kind of, um, you don't, there's no point with that. So you create a lot, basically like, um, maybe I'll explain this badly, but you create like a, a possibility space where you can make use of almost every result in an interesting way. So it's mm. like if you have two fives, it makes sense to bump one up to a six and feed one of them into the, uh, the, uh, this, you know, uh, artifact in order to spit out more sixes that you then feed into the gun to do damage. Or, but if you have lower numbers, then some of them are worth re-rolling, but also some of them are worth maybe combining to get that five total and use your dice in a different way. Um, and then with the thief as well, it built, uh, built entirely about the dagger, which is the initial weapon, which can only take th- threes or under, but you can use it as many times as you like in a turn. So you can do playstyles with the thief that are all about poison or all about completely different weapons, but, uh, the upgraded dagger does the value of the dice plus one. So it can do four damage a go. And so created a, a factory for making threes it with a lot of different kind of parts to it, like duplicating dice, um, but also there's a once per game item that means that you feed it a result and then it's next on the next turn, you're guaranteed to get two dice, two, uh, two dice showing that result. 
And then there's another item, which is, I think, the grappling hook, which means that the next item you use can be used twice this turn. And that applies even on things that are worth a once per per battle so you can use that to guarantee four threes on the next thing and then feed them into the duplication thing while activating the grapple again and you end up with like i don't know like some nuts kind of huge pile of threes out of four initial dice and it feels really satisfying to pull that off and then do you know 40 damage or something in a single turn just um just through this particular engine and that's definitely slave aspire sort of sense of kind of like I've been dealt the, these dice. I've rolled these dice or dealt, been dealt these cards and I'm going to figure out how to make best use of them. Like it's mm. really, really satisfying. I feel, to me, it feels like with the witch anyway, I think that's what I'm missing with the witch is that, well, there's loads of, you have loads of creativity in or like choice over how you build your spell book. But so far, every time I played the first six spells I get are the same six spells. And so it's just a question of which slots I put them in. And that matters a little bit, but I'm usually like nearly dead by the time I've got that six spell slotted. And then the leveling up beyond that is, um, is, uh, unexplored territory. Um, but yeah, with the inventor, I had a, a really nice loadout where I had a flamethrower, which has two slots and you just put any dice you like in it. And it does that total damage as fire damage. Plus it burns one of their dice, but you can only use it once per battle. And then I was fighting, I think, the Wicker Man, who is uh, understandably <laughs> vulnerable to the to fire. Uh, and I also had my special ability for that round was a thing that would, could double the next attack I did. Um, actually, no, there wasn't the special ability. It was just an- another piece of equipment because it required dice to fuel it. Um, and uh, I... Oh, yeah, my special ability was to clone all of my dice, um, which is amazing. Like, it's like for apart from anything else you just have twice as many dice uh and then the inventors uh sort of uh what's it called limit break uh power each class is a different one um theirs is to turn all their dice to sixes and so i doubled all my dice so i had like at least six of them i think turned them all into sixes uh use that to fuel the the next attack doubler and then put two sixes into the flamethrower which you can usually only, only use once per battle but then it, and is weak to fire. And so it does 12 damage plus whatever the bonus is for them being weak to it twice and sets them the fire and it just killed them all in one turn. Yeah, it's just red. There's a, there's another, I've, I haven't played it for a little while now, but I have played it since the, um, since the, um, the, the, it turned into a game show. But, um, I, uh, I remember that one of the things I feel really satisfied about is that it's not all about just getting high numbers. Mm, yeah. It's about getting a range of them. So you, so, you know, you don't get that disappointment where you kind of roll a load of ones because sometimes ones are the best. Like, yeah. like yeah, that's what right. I'm looking for. And like, you're all, there's lots of opportunities to, like you mentioned bump, like you can bump the value up and down depending, depending on, you know, with, mm. with certain abilities. And like, if I like the variety. There's something really special like massively satisfying about the fact that you're not only looking for one outcome from a, from a, you know, mm. like the fact, like actually, you know, if you were asked to only look for, for high results, like that would, that is functionally the same as looking for <laughs> like, like some high, some low, like results would you actually get in um, Dicey Dungeons. And, but the fact it just tickles your brain. Yeah. It feels nice, not, to only expect a certain set of outcomes or one to certain set of outcomes. If you get the spatula, you can turn a dice over so you get the value that will be on the other <laughs> oh, face. Nice. So I had to sit there thinking for a while, what is on, how are dice set up? Yeah. And the only 
I, I just inferred, well, from the fact that this is a rule, they tell you this without explanation, I infer there must be a logical way to figure it out, and therefore it's probably that they always sum to seven. Like, there's one is on the opposite side of the six, the three is on the opposite side of the four, Uh, the five is on the opposite side of the two. He's always up to seven. You're the dice man. That is the the case, I believe. Right. Right. So you could turn your ones to sixes with that. Yeah. And the thing that's nice about it is, I think one of the reasons to the design the equipment and all the different abilities, and this is true for enemy abilities as well, is so elegant is, well, it's, it's not just that it's elegant, it's that it creates lots of space, a design space in which it can be elegant. So, and that creates lots of, you have, you know, it isn't just, as you say, high number good, but it's also, what is possible is also based on everything else you've got in an interesting yeah, way. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's you know, something... Combination. So some things do, you know, the value on the dice plus or whatever an amount as damage. Other things have a flat effect. So like the the warrior's armor gaining abilities tend to give you um, defense based on the value of the dice you use. So it's encouraging you to want those sort of big results with maybe some other requirements. Whereas like the rogue's... The, sorry, the thief's leather armor gives you like flat one damage mitigation and it just requires, I believe an odd numbered dice. And that's really interesting. Even though it sounds really simple, it's really interesting because one, that's a great use of ones because it's like you, you the bonus isn't going to change. You just need to discard the things that's least valuable to you. But obviously because the rogue tends to attack with low numbered dice, so thief, um, you might have a five that you really can't do anything with. And the best thing to do is now to feed into the armor, even though with a different class, a five would maybe be something completely different. Yeah. And that's like, um, you know, there are plenty of cases, but they've, they've, it, you know, that's been achieved without losing, uh, like the feeling of a good role, which I think is yeah. a really important part of a dice game. Like yeah. it's, it's good at mitigating the potential swinginess or unfairness of a dice game by giving you lots of different options and ways of, you know, strategizing around any role you get, but it still feels amazing to have the right dice at the right time. Or like when you, you know, it is, if a fight is a bit close to the wire and it is a roguelike and you are going to lose your progress if it ends to then get whatever a perfect role means for your build feels great. And so that's sort of not been lost in this, I guess, dice manipulation engine building mm. sim, which is what it really is. This applies to your enemies too. Like they need certain dice to yeah. heal their abilities. And you watch them go, ah, you And you can, <laughs> you can just look at what their abilities are and what yeah. they require and everything. And, and you see their role. There, there's sometimes, um, uh, disadvantages so you can freeze dice that's one of the if you do ice damage or if you if you do freeze to somebody it puts ice on their dice (laughs) and uh that turns those values to one uh which as we've established is not always a bad thing like if you're a rogue it's it's or thief (laughs) it's just call that rogue um uh it's not that bad at all and there's actually an enemy who can only use ones? The yeah. paper knight, every ability he has can only take ones. And so, it, if you're is fighting, it, is it the sniffly porcupine? Oh, maybe the paper. Oh, the porcupine. Yeah, it's the, ones, the paper. It? The paper knight is the ones that has two abilities. One is odds, and one is evens. Oh, right. And then all that stuff gets worse over time. The sniffly porcupine is the one that can right. use ones. And yes. so, if you freeze the sniffly porcupine, you've just given them an advantage because now they have ones when, which is actually exactly what they True need to life. Unless <laughs> <laughs> it's already got a cold. See, it makes sense. <laughs> Um, yeah, like, uh, on that note, actually, I want to give it, like, I think the presentation's really lovely. And I think actually yeah. this sort of the, the mad game show thing, the fact that it doesn't really have a theme. So it has space Marines and, yep. you know, goblins and handymen and, and uh, a fireman who's just a fire, a man that's on fire. I love the singer who, like, when you attack it, just goes, <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the sound's really good. Like, it's not, it's not voice acted, but they got voice actors to make, 
I, I think we talked about this. What well, was it? Mechanicus we were talking about. Like this is as the Animal Crossing yeah. method for voicing games, mm-hmm. where you don't record voice acting. You just go like and put whatever people do to that. It's actually perfect. Like I genuinely think this might be superior to voice acting in like a lot of cases, um, because it's very evocative. The music's really good. It's really fun. Like it's it's quite a fun. Yeah, it's a fun roguelike. It's a fun roguelike, which is you know I mean I, I like um I love Dead Cells' art for example, and I I I like Slay the Spire's aesthetic, if not the art particularly, to be honest. Um, hmm. um, but both of those things are relatively serious, and this is so kind of breezy, and it helps that runs are quite manageable as well. Yeah, like, quite they're sure. not. They're not very long. You just sort of, you know, you can lose, but you don't lose a lot. And you'll hit the level cap pretty easily, to be honest, if you just do everything. And then there's a boss and, and you're, you're done with it. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's pleasing to, to play something that sort of opens up quite as quickly as it does. Although obviously I think maybe the, some concerns about its longevity on the basis that it doesn't necessarily hold you. Yeah. Back. So I've, I've unlocked episodes now, which I, I think are its, uh, attempt to solve that, which is for every class, uh, each class has six episodes and an episode is a run of the game with some special rules. And so one, uh, one I played with the inventor was that, um, you don't have to break down a piece of equipment at the end of the round, but, uh, all of your equipment can be reused multiple times per turn. But once it's been used four times, it's destroyed and turned into ability right then and there. Right. So that's very different. It's now just um, uh, more than ever, you want to just hoard a whole load of possibly trashy equipment. And then you might even want to intentionally overuse a thing just to break it down into an ability because you, you want to change your ability. And in fact, if you can do that in your turn, you can use the ability, the free ability you have this turn, um, then break a piece of equipment, turns into a new ability, and that comes sort of pre-refreshed. So you can use that right. as well. So you end up using two of them. Uh, so that's kind of interesting and, and, um, creates a new strategy. Uh, another one I tried was for the robot, uh, which I didn't see anything interesting about it, but it was, so instead of the heat bar where you, you're trying not to overload yourself, you just get to pick any dice in any quantity as much as you like, but there's a 50 50 chance for all of them that when you roll them, it will crash all your equipment and you, and end your turn or the roll won't count and it crashes a piece of equipment. And, it didn't really lead to any interesting decisions because the, the chance is the same no matter what you do. Like mm-hmm. it's not like rolling high ones have a higher chance or anything. Or if you get cursed in the game, that's the thing where there's a 50% chance your, uh, this ability, uh, your next attack will misfire. And so that leads to an interesting decision because you think, okay, let's try, let's use my weakest attack I don't care about. Let's use some junk dice in this thing that's not going to do much damage. And that'll be the one that may misfire. It might not, because there's only a 50-50 chance, but you want to do your attacks in like least important first order. But this is, it's always 50-50. And so just, I guess I'll just play as best I can. I'll always do the same thing every time because I can have whatever dice I like. I can always get the ideal dice for the thing I'm, I'm right, doing. Yeah. So the chance element is gone and I'm also not really making any decisions. So that one was kind of weird. So those are the only two I've tried so far. So, so far a mixed bag. <laughs> hmm. But it's, I think it's a good idea to have these kind of mutators to, to yeah. mix up the runs. And then presumably there's six times, is it six characters total as well? Yeah, so 36 of them. So 36 runs. And then, but it doesn't look like it's set up for dailies or, or additional challenge runs, mm. but I suppose it could be easily. Yeah, it feels like it. a potentially good fit. Should be, on, they should be on unlock dice, like unlock a six. <laughs> <laughs> We've already got the six, sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Eight-sided dice. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's a, yeah, I, I I really like it. Like I'm, I'm easily become a, I'm very happy for Terry because this is, um, it's been seven years since Super Hexagon and he's made goodness me. Speaking of 2012. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh no. (laughs) And he's made a whole load of stuff since then. Is is I think he I wrote, he wrote about that in his blog just before launch. And I think he said he'd had four projects that sort of he started and didn't work out, and two that he did finish and release, but as free games. Um, one of which is a sort of roguelike heist game that's that's quite interesting. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, it has, hasn't been like seven years of like him taking a nice long break after. Um, his success with, with Super Hexagon and VVV he has been making new stuff. It just had a, a string of things that didn't work out. And this one finally has. And he's really proud of it. And it's sold really well too. So that's really nice. Yeah, it's great. Um, what have you been playing, Alex? I'm going back to the roguelike, I'm afraid. <laughs> with a very different tone. <laughs> I've been playing um, Jupiter Hell, which is basically Doom RL, so Doom roguelike. There's a, it's, I don't know when it started up. I didn't play it. So, um, was I it guess, a phone game? No, uh, no, no, no. There was that a phone was Doom game. RPG. Yeah, I that, that was an official id made or at least yeah. id sanctioned. That um, was pretty good. Somewhat, yeah, it was like a dungeon master game, wasn't it? Like a little f- flick dungeony game, but with, um, so this is, um, a roguelike. So top down, the Doom RL, um use doom graphics or at least they look like doom graphics um uh, so sort of 2d on a grid uh style thing um jupiter hell which sort of for reasons of ip <laughs> has now shorn itself of all of the doom paraphernalia like or direct paraphernalia um and is set on jupiter not Mars. Mm-hmm. So I'm like kidding. we're all, we're a, we're a mile off already. But still hell. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, is 3D and like nice 3D as well, like with physics systems and things, despite still being a, a like a turn-based RPG, um, sort of roguelike RPG. Um, uh, but basically you're playing Doom, um, in turn-based Doom. And I didn't, so yeah, I, I didn't play, um, Doom RL, so I, I'm sure people have, so I might sound a little bit naive and, you know, talking about it, but, um, it's, I find it quite interesting, interesting for a, a roguelike because, mm. I'm not used to playing roguelikes with ranged weapons. Like usually you're, it's like all about melee, like generally about melee with a few magicy things on top, but mostly you're bumping up against stuff and you so know, it's, it's all like about turn-based position. in the, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the rogue, roguelike sense. Yeah. Rogue, roguelike. Rogue, so, rogue, like, so yeah. Like. Yeah. So like, oh yeah. It's a roguelike doom really. clone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like to, to go to the basics. Yeah, yeah. Like this is quite, quite trad as in it's on a grid. So you move. Um, up, down, left, and right, and every time you move, well, actually, no, <laughs> it's not the case that every time you move, and this is a weird thing about it. But I'll, I'll talk about like the feel, the reason why it's, this feel is different first. Like it's it's all about range because obviously you're shooting guns, like your pistols and shotguns and um, SMGs and automatic rifles and rockets and whatever. Um, so like it's very doomy in that way, and um, to attack like you're it's all keyboard um so you're using cursors to move and then you press f (laughs) to fire um uh, and it will basically select somebody for you but you just press tab and it will switch between targets and it will tell you the uh hit 
percentage you've got on those targets. Your weapons will have different um, accuracy sort of bonuses, like bonuses depending on range. So your shotgun is very, very um, uh, accurate and does most damage up close, obviously, and, you know, comes off uh, like quite sharply over over distance. So you're kind of juggling all those kinds of things and you're moving around and it's fast, like as in like sort of I've been playing a little bit of uh, Brogue recently um, uh, and that is fast in the sense that you're moving around quite quickly because the density of enemies is quite low Mm. in that game. Um, so you're kind of skipping around quite fast, but the action when you come to it is like you're generally going slower and you're usually being quite careful looking at your health and making such this is fast you're just hammering f like bam 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 <laughs> right move behind cover bam bam and it's time goes when you do a thing right no so like oh. the time oh. thing is so yes it is but it's not purely turn-based there is invisibly like a timeline system so your actions take certain amounts of time oh. and you only gain a sense of that like with experience and i don't really have that yet so like is it as simple as a shot takes two action points and a movement takes one action point or is it more maybe (laughs) maybe (laughs) like so uh, your experience of it is that sometimes you'll move and enemies won't and sometimes you'll move an enemy will skip two oh my god and and i do i'm starting to get a sense of it and it's interesting because you do get a sense of different you got low you got quite a wide spectrum of differentiation in your weapons and kind of other aspects of management of yourself but also in the enemy so like imps or like is like is imps will tend to move to more often than grunts like you know like the sort of marines like the, the, the zombie marines and because they are faster like they and so and they also about they can only well. There are imps that are only melee, and there are imps that shoot fireballs as well. So, like, they will move faster, and they're a bit more frightening about you know them getting close to you. Um, um, and I would be really irritated about the fact that you don't know how close, uh, how far away something is, or like what will something will do to you, like in the time for you to move. Um, but actually, it makes your decisions in the moment more interesting and it feels more dynamic um like hmm. okay so so your weapons uh so the things you're thinking about in terms of time switching weapons takes some time um firing a weapon takes some time the different weapons take different amounts of time to fire chain gun takes fucking ages to fire um a shotgun (laughs) will always need reloading after shooting. This is a single shot thing. So like, I don't think it takes much time to fire, but you've also got to factor in reload. Hmm. Um, SMG is fast to fire, I think, and so on. Like mm. um, pistols fast to fire, but also fast to switch to from, from uh, another right. weapon. Is your switching time based on the sw- weapon you're switching to or the weapons you're switching from? Or switching both? to, <laughs> I think. I think okay. it's switching to. Um, so like, I think you can be on chain gun and you can quickly yeah, cool. change to your, to your pistol. Again, like none of this is shown to you. You can only get a sense of it, like from playing. Like, so there's definitely a problem for new players. And like, I, like, and I found it weird. It's early access, isn't it? Well, oh yeah, I think so. So it was, in, so. it was in Kickstarter a while ago. And yeah, I think it's in, and, yeah, I'll, so that, I'll talk about I'll talk about kind of what's in it in a, in a second. Um, 
because there's a there's another thing um there's a cover system in it as well so when you see an enemy uh you sometimes it's best to retreat rather than fire at them um and there it doesn't are, sound very doom <laughs> there there are two systems going on there first is that um like you're going to be exposing yourself to fire. Like you, your shot may or may not kill them the first time around. Like you do get an easy sense of what that, what you'll do to them. And most shots will like your pistol will take two shots, for instance, to kill something. Um, whereas, you know, like sort of like your rifle will probably take them down. But, uh, but if there are two enemies around, you're probably going to want to retreat to cover. And it's quite like a nice, it's nicely shown. Like you, when you retreat between behind cover, you'll have a, like a little, um, green line on the cover that you're facing, like, or in between you and the enemy that you've, you're, you're currently targeting to show you that you're in cover. Um, and, uh, and the reason you kind of don't want to get hit not, is not only because you'll lose health, because, you know, and that's like obviously a bad thing to get, but also because when you get hit, you get a pain counter that goes up. And when you have pain, your accuracy plummets. Huh. And like the pain thing lasts a few turns to go away. And there are ways to mitigate it, but basically getting hit can really fuck you up like you are going you you need to think about positioning a lot like to to reduce your chances of getting hit as much as you can and yeah like it's not only about health um so there are three classes in the game at the moment there's a marine uh there's a there is a scout i think is a scout and it's called and like a technician i think it's called the marine has a thing called stim and stims you can use once in a level and it will take away all your pain and it will give you a very small health boost. So like it's a sort of used thing. The technician gets to put down smoke once thing and it completely blocks all line of sight. So it's a way of escaping. And the scout can go invisible for a few turns. <laughs> and I haven't really played with them too much. Um, I've been mostly on marine. I like how they're like... Painkiller, smoke grenade, invisibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just a fucking But the invisibility, magician. I'm not sure you can... See, I haven't... I really... I, I'm not sure you can pop it while you're in combat. Right. Or at least you can, but I think you can still be seen, if you sort of mean. I think it's more about getting into a good position when you know haven't been seen yet. Um, and then... Um, but they're, but they're like, their bonuses kind of are interesting for the fact that, like, the, the scout gives lots more upgrades that increase sort of tight like reduce time for stuff mm. so you're kind of much more nimble and like you know and i also you know and i've only probably done about 15 goes so far it's interesting the 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 longer go the, lo- the longer runs i've had have taken quite a long time there's a lot of like action that happens in a run and i couldn't tell you how close i was to the end and um there are multiple ways through there you're going you're basically aiming for an elevator on a level and sometimes there are two elevators and it will tell you where they go to and where they go to will be themed style of levels and it's quite interesting it's captured some of the doom old doom feel to levels (laughs) so that they're quite tricksy and like the way that it generates them is the feel quite different so um there are some levels where like it makes this incredibly uh 
uh, symmetrical kind of layout mm. with sort of symmetrical rooms and kind of patterns of rooms and things feel very sort of old doomy. Like it feels quite nice. And, you know, they're all quite interesting for having pillars in the way and kind of long corridors and things, which all sort of enforce different ways of playing. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the level, like it takes a while to go through. And what's I found quite interesting is that I haven't found an item to fill up one of my slots on my character yet. There's a, like an equipment one and I haven't. So I found one item which says that it's a teleporter and I don't know whether it's a single use thing. Like the blurbs on them are fucking <laughs> rubbish. Like it doesn't, they just, you look at the descriptions and like in the inventory, it just doesn't tell you like, is this a single use thing? Is this like a thing that I slot into a place? I don't know. Like, so that may have been an equipment thing, but I've only found one of them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But despite the fact that there are quite a wide variety of environments that I've been through. So I've been through mines and sort of bases and, and, and there was one level where I, was as I was going through these, these demons would spawn, like the sort of hexes appeared and a demon would spawn. And luckily I had good enough weaponry to sort of deal with them. Uh, there's upgrade like mod kits that you can put into to weapons that you'll find drops that have previous already been modded up and they're kind of rares and epics sort of level star ones. There's loads of stuff going on there and there's a lot of sort of, sort of, sort of, uh, weird rules about timeline stuff. But I haven't found the meat of it mm. yet. Like Brogue, you get a sense of a coherent world. Like, you know, obviously there's just like a, its own physics system going on and you'll fall through places and there's sort of, you know, if there's gas in an area and you throw a thing in and then there's sort of cause and effect going on and the different creatures are very, very, you know, have very different, um, behaviors and things. In this one, they all just run at you and, quite try to kill you like and there's a you know some of them shoot gun things and others try to try to hit you and there isn't really a very wide range of things they do to you even the weapons they fire at you like you see a grunt and they might have a shotgun they might have like a pistol they might have like a 44 sort of magnum style thing like like it's functionally they'll hit you more or they'll hurt you yes less and there's nothing there's no choice going on you'll just have to shoot them back you know Whereas like in Brogue, you can try to disengage and survive. You know, you'll mm. have to think your way through mm. this stuff. And this, there's thinking in the moment. And weirdly, that actually does capture the Doom thing. Like, mm. you know, if you were going to make a roguelike of Doom, you'd have to make it momentary on the moment basis, you know, where you're kind of thinking about the next move you do. And like, you want to be tapping the kind of cursor keys fast and like you do move and it's got a nice sense of movement as you move around like if you sort of if you're really pressing the buttons fast like it manages to sort of make you go diagonal to make it look like you're turning corners even though it's totally you know it's only left up right up down (laughs) but ultimately the fact it doesn't i don't know how you build it out you know through its i mean this is an Mm. old game like there's a lot of work that's gone into it for this, over a long period. Is it the same developers as Doom Moral? Yeah, right. it is. It so is. Just them going legit, kind of. <laughs> the, yeah, basically them going legit. They, they're now, like, Doom RL is a freeware game because you couldn't sell it. Um, and 
And so, yeah, this is their kind of, you know, being able to sell a game. I shouldn't imply that fan works are not legit. (laughs) (laughs) Them going commercial is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like it. And I think, uh, I believe that John Carmack, um, donated to their. Oh, really? That's nice. (laughs) That's that's good. Uh, but yeah, I think sort of making a roguelike, which behaves like a, like a sort of a, uh, a trigger happy very fast faced shooter is an interesting design kind of project but i don't know how long it lasts as a you know this game lasts as like you know whether you can go back to it over and over again like you can something like broke mm-hmm. i think i'd like to propose a roguelike uh, classification system where the number of rogues you get in the name is how formally similar you are to rogue. Like, is, is it turn-based? Is it ASCII-based? Is it, do you move into people to hurt them? That's how many rogues you get. So like Brogue has like, it's rogue, rogue, rogue. And then how many likes you get is how many modernizations and conveniences you have. So Brogue actually has quite a few. So it's like rogue, yeah. rogue, rogue, like, like. Spelunky is a rogue, like, like, cause it's not that much like rogue, but it does have a lot of modern conveniences. Mm. <laughs> and then you could I have like the like, system a lot it's two independent axes that you can vary up <laughs> right but so dicey I, dungeons would be uh yeah, only one rogue for sure because yeah. it's, it's not ascii based it's turn-based i suppose um yeah maybe that gets you two rogues if you're turn-based but then it's not it's not like free movement on a grid so um probably just one rogue <laughs> and then a lot of likes because it's very modern very slick very nice to play <laughs> rogue like 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 <laughs> but surely but then presumably also something like dead cells would be in that yeah. Category as well. Yeah. It, not even a full rogue for dead cells. Rog. <laughs> rog like, like, but you get the choice over, <laughs> like, you get the choice over path in that one. I give it two rogues. And you do. <laughs> really? You do two rogues. move into enemies to kill them in it. It's a melee game. <laughs> you can do a forward roll through enemies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it was something like Crypt of the Necrodancer, because you move That's quite roguey. It yeah. is quite roguey. I give that at least two rogues, probably and, three rogues. And would you qualify the <laughs> the dancing as a modern convenience? It's actually just a complication. It's a modern annoyance. <laughs> yeah. So that what would that be? Like Yeah, I rogue, mean, rogue, the, rogue, rogue, the visuals like. have to count as a as a convenience. So I'd probably uh, yeah, rogue, 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 like like <laughs> rogue, rogue, like like this is it's perfectly it's a really, really good system. Like I can't see anything. I'm glad someone's finally solved the problem of genre. Yeah, yeah. now there'll be no debates about this. Yeah, <laughs> all all genres should be assessed in this way. Like um, the the you know the the, the ever thorny issue of first person games, right? Like is is Deus Ex a shooter really, or is it just ha- does it have shooting in it? Right? Um, is Thief a, an FPS? Would be you know maybe you add it's an FF. No, you add first. FFS. <laughs> You add first, you add first for, um, immersive qualities. You add person <laughs> for, 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 for upgrading RPG qualities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either, either personally, either in your person or your interaction with other people. And you add shooter for shooting. How shooting is. So Doom is a first person shooter, 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 shooter. Yeah. Um, whereas Deus Ex is a, something like a, uh, first, first, first person, person, person shooter. I feel like we've solved a lot of, issues here yeah. and so uh oh shit what's that um a talos principle gets no p because you're not even a person in it. <laughs> so it's just f you- and no s's either so it's just fffff <laughs> um you might need some other letters <laughs> yeah yeah wow what a bad system this is. <laughs> we should there, use there was forever. this really good um uh 
basically a proposal for a different way of rating movies where instead of like the stars out of five, uh, this person was, was proposing they should be, you should give every movie two star ratings. Uh, one is for how like worthy and well-made it is. And the other is for how fun it is. So you get to vary those completely independently. Something can be incredibly <laughs> worthy and beautifully crafted, and, uh, but it's just zero fun. And other things can be, you know, uh, fun, but ineptly made and kind of trashy. And it's, I think it's a like, value. I was that. thinking like, I was thinking, oh yeah, that's so, like, that would, you know, something like, um, uh, Transformers, right? So, but then I thought, hang not on. Not even that fun. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not fun. It's, there's technical aspects of its making that are very good, but like the actual filmmaking aspects of its technical yeah, yeah, really bad. I, I think the metric is worthiness. It wasn't sort of, uh, technical competence. Oh, okay. It was like, um, merit. Uh, y- yeah, kind Do of. Do you feel that people really tried (laughs) well that was the thing i was gonna say the third axis should be did this look hard to do (laughs) (laughs) and if you score like zero for fun zero for worthiness and maximum for hard to do you got yourself a transformers (laughs) (laughs) but then commercial success is like a whole other thing yeah right you keep adding categories until you've written a review (laughs) (laughs) we could blend that with your general system (laughs) Uh, that's basically all the reviewing just sorted out <laughs> good well, what'd you play Chris <laughs> what'd you play Chris rogue, rogue host um, uh, I've been playing so um, rogue rogue host host <laughs> I guess I would describe the the game I've been playing as a rogue rogue uh, like and a half <laughs> where's it on the FPS scale uh, it is, uh, it's none of them. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's just it's a person, person, right? person. <laughs> I describe it as person, person. Oh, I'm playing a good person, person right now. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, and it's a game that's come up a bunch of times on the podcast over the last couple of years, uh, which is Ex Anima, uh, which I keep thinking of as a mispronunciation of the word examiner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I didn't get on with my driving Ex Anima. Um, um, and, I would completely understand why people don't always get on with driving Exanima because it's movement controls are difficult. <laughs> That's that entire joke, and I'll, uh, I can't. It's not a f- Tom. We, we we cleared this. It doesn't even have a <laughs> single PP. <laughs> it's um the um so Exanima is the game that uh, Sui Generis became. I think we ended up discussing it sort of um, obliquely on a recent episode of the podcast, and it's come up before. I think. Uh, Marsh has definitely talked about it in the past. It's the Drunk Skeletons game. It's the Drunk Skeletons game, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I ended up playing it because um, cause it was linked on Discord, basically, and I'd been meaning to play it for ages. Um, and so, and it's been in early access for such a long time, so I don't necessarily feel like I'm qualified to assess where it is at now versus where it was years ago. But Do you know how much is, is it actively being... Yeah, it has an update in July, so right. yeah, with new stuff, flails. Uh, flails yeah flails for a game about <laughs> flailing which is you know, <laughs> yeah. now uh, you can be a physicsy man wielding a physicsy object <laughs> um it's physics squared it is it's physics physics um it's so fascinating i watched the the steam trailer for it because i so mm. i knew about sui generis i didn't know it had become another game since um 
and watching the Steam trailer, it had all the things in it that I remember from the Kickstarter for for Sweden mm. And I'm I'm so I'd love to sort of be in the room when they made the trailer because it's they have so much to show off. It's so technically competent. It kind of looks beautiful in its own way, mm. and it's so richly simulated. Things you know fall off tables in a really convincing way, and everything. And then as soon as two people try and fight, it's like <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fascinating for that reason. So basically, I feel like I need to introduce it from the top level. If you're not aware of what it is, so it's a um, isometric. Um, dungeon crawler with permadeath. I wouldn't call it a roguelike actually, so maybe I gave it too much rogue in my description. <laughs> it is grid, it is sort of dungeon crawlery in that sense and top down. Um, but it's a set layout. It's not procedure generated and it's more that it's just punishing than anything else. It's just hard. And this is in its kind of principle to dungeon crawling mode. Um, it's a kind of dark fantasy world. Um, in that there are sort of undead and zombies and things walking around, but actually one of its most unsettling qualities is most of them aren't aggressive. People just sort of will ignore you or go about their business until you make eye contact with them for too long or <laughs> are in a combat stance near them or something like that. Um, this is at least early on. Um, and then it's, um, its whole thing is, is physics basically. You are, you know, uh, a, a momentum driven, uh, physical body in this space. So you, you steer yourself around. It's sort of descend, intended to be played almost entirely with the mouse, but with some keyboard stuff, but you can also sort of steer yourself using the, the wazd keys and you control like a tank basically. Um, but also, uh, the world itself is full of sort of manipulable objects. So when you're in a certain radius of a door, a chair, anything, you can click and drag objects to pick them up and move them around. And your character doesn't do this with their hands. And it's not really that you have mind powers. It's funny because if you watch someone else play, it doesn't look immersive at all <laughs> to um, be walking around and then sort of pull a door open with the mouse cursor and have this just happen. But actually when you are playing, it is surprisingly, it feels like opening and closing and slamming doors and so on. And everything interacts in a really granular way. So, you know, you can easily, you, when you first open a door, you have to kind of test if it's a push or a pull, because you can easily just open a door on yourself and then close it by accident while trying to walk through it because your arm gets snagged on it. Um, if you are running or sprinting and you, you can easily trip over a low object, it's actually pretty convincingly done. Like it is what happens if you're sprinting and you don't look where you're going and you trip over a wheelbarrow, like and you'll go sprawling to the ground. You can drop the stuff you're carrying. I have to pick them back up by even picking things up. Like is half an hour picking up every piece of armor. You're <laughs> opening your inventory panel and dragging things off the game world onto, <laughs> onto yourself or onto the inventory. Um, it's sort of very kind of realistic, I guess, in, in that way. And, and there is the sort of gratification of escaping enemies by knocking things down in front of them to slow them down or, or slamming doors and, and trying to escape. Um, and then combat is its own kind of animal. Um, because so combat is also, it's not realism isn't the right word, but it's driven by the same systems. So the weight balance of a weapon really matters for where it's how much damage it does damage is predominantly based by how fast the weapon was moving at the point where it impacted with something um so you know it is not a question of me landing a hit it's like landing a solid hit which feels a lot more like something like mordhau or a sword mm. fighting game because it really that stuff really really matters and so the way it works is when you're in a combat stance you will automatically attempt to block or parry um every blow that comes towards you and all oh, you can right. really do is move the mouse to face that direction and you can when you're in combat mode it's like you strafe and sort of 
step forward and back rather than trying to turn. A bit like Dark Souls lock-on without the lock-on. So your lock-on is just wherever your mouse cursor is. Hmm. Um, I hope that makes sense. But you're not like... So you are circling, but there's more work involved in circling yeah. than there would be because you're actually having to kind of like move the mouse in a contrary direction to your direction of movement yeah. in order to circle around someone. Um, you can step in and out and you're sort of swinging your weapons and then you can um, choose to determine whether it's an overhead strike or a, a jab or, or a swing of the sword or whatever it is you're carrying. And, um, you know, if you are, and then it's really uh, deeply physics-y in, in, in a way that puts it, despite the kind of grimdark presentation, puts it like, in the same territory as gang beasts like it's it's it is slapstick to an extent apart from the fact that it's quite effective like what's weird about it is no matter how good you get with the combat system and there is finesse you know and there's there's stuff to learn you can be good at it it will always look messy as hell and not in a broken way it's just like it it, it never really escapes pub car park drunken brawl like drunken's <laughs> probably the word for it and the reason for that this applies to the whole system is it has really realistic attention to the physics of bodies and how they move but the one thing it doesn't simulate at all is all of the things bodies do to balance and secure <laughs> yeah. themselves when you're describing kind of sprinting along a corridor and like yeah. tripping over it's not how it would be because you would have noticed it yeah like, well like subconsciously just stepped well subconsciously is the key thing your brain does so much work yeah. so like you know, like I have never in my life walked, tried to open a door, and then while walking through the door, caught the door on my shoulder and closed it in my own face. Well, actually, no, I have done that. But, you, know, <laughs> you could, you could do that. I could believe that happening if I was sufficiently drunk. That's the thing, because the one thing drinking does is switch off those parts of your motor functions yeah. that make these small decisions for you. And because this game asks you to make all those small decisions yourself, that's actually quite unnatural. And so. I would be interested to see how it played, and maybe this is where the technology might eventually go, how it would play if you, if it handled certain things for you. Like, I can tell you're trying to walk through a door that's only most of the way open. You will just push it the rest of the way open yeah. as you go through, because that's what you would do. Um, similarly, um, it actually works a little bit better in fights in some ways, because it's okay for a fight to be a messy clash of, of things. Like, it's like when you're, if you're fighting someone who has like, a long like a, a like a pole arm like there's you know enemies that have like a pole axe or a uh a, like a, basically like a stick with a hook on the end kind of thing they're quite nasty weapons because you can be fighting with chair legs and <laughs> bits of table and and stuff as well planks and iron bars as well as swords and stuff like that moving into them often makes quite a lot of sense because if you move into them you end up pushing their arms up and they can't hit you because they're <laughs> at such close range to you and backing off is dangerous because they might get a swipe in but they're unlikely to be able to like really pull it back and hit you with it so it's unlikely to be a really really damaging blow which sort of feels true to life it feels way, right yeah so like, i guess look stuff it's basically <laughs> like feels like tabs yeah yeah it, but it feels messy it's like uh, there's a lot of sort of like but in a good way like it feels like you're sort of fighting for your for your life and like so I, I played a bunch of the, the RPG mode, which is, um, it's, it's very atmospheric. Um, it's very, very difficult. Um, it's, and that, that has been sort of lots of interesting moments. There are things that don't really work for me. Like, um, you have two, your health bar basically, and it's kind of consistent. So when you take damage, if it is like, um, usually if it's like blunt damage or like, 
relatively light hits. It, uh, it hurts your health bar, but it doesn't do permanent damage. That, that damage will regenerate. And if you run out of that, you pass out rather than dying. But if you take like a heavy strike from like a bladed weapon, particularly, you take red damage, which basically permanently reduces your health <laughs> cap. And that is you've been hit with a sword. This is very different to being sort of bonked over the head of the chair leg kind of thing. And if you run out of, you know, if you run out of too many sword blows and you're just dead. But one thing that happens is often you get into a fight with somebody. If they knock you out, you fade to black and you fade back in again. I think the idea is that you've, you know, you've been knocked out and then you, you come to. And often the person who knocked you out, the AI, sometimes they'll leave. And that's often a good moment. You have to like pick your stuff up on the floor and kind of like stagger off. And you limp and things when you're wounded. Like the attention is to like making you feel this stuff. Often... If it's like the place where that person lives, they'll have let you just be unconscious on the floor for a bit. But as soon as you get up, they will hit you again. <laughs> and so sometimes that can be like, I had a fight where I ran into a room and someone surprised me and I backed off while sprinting and tried to move backwards while sprinting. And I tripped backwards over <laughs> a chair and got the chair kind of caught on my leg and fell into a table so that I was sort of sitting on the table like with, but with a chair stuck on my leg trying to parry with my iron bar as someone comes at me with an axe and it was kind of scary that does, that does feel quite combat-y like yeah. a real life like kind just of, trying yeah. to force them away and trying to stand up but also being pushed back by their strikes so basically and then eventually they got like a blow through that actually knocked me out and as I came to I was just like <laughs> on this tape like lying on half on this table and you start to wake up and in a kind of um kinematic kind of animation sort of way pick yourself up at which point this axe just comes back down like straight into the forehead and, and dead now and it was quite it was brutal but quite quite effective actually as a sort of this um, is like any other game designer would just like have some marked safe spots in the world and it just teleports while you're blacked out teleports yeah. you to the nearest safe spot and you wake up there no just, <laughs> oh it's not true to the simulation um you would wake up in their house and they would hit you again yeah. <laughs> they'd leave you sleeping in their room yeah oh you're alive oh okay um, and sometimes and sometimes they will just knock you unconscious again and then you'll wake up again and they just keep doing this until you're dead um so the other mode and i don't know if it had this previously is called arena mode and this is almost a completely different game so in this mode you create a main character um uh so yeah you kind of create your own person basically in both modes um and and and, and one one thing maybe to note about it is it's likely not safe for work like it doesn't have any kind of like sexualized content in it at all, apart from the fact that um uh men and women are both topless. So <laughs> you you choose clothes when you think, but when you create first create a, a female character, for example, not wearing a top, and it's just kind of like it's it's its way of I don't know. There's a there's that's how a, it is. That's how it is. The, it, like it, there isn't, and the and the the female bodies in the game are not sexualized. In fact, you have height and weight sliders. Um, and musculature sliders for characters and they actually matter um taller characters trip over easier because they have a higher center of gravity uh shorter characters get hit in the head with pole arms far more readily because they don't have a shorter reach and this is true of life as far as i understand it <laughs> i uh yeah I'm, I'm yeah um so that's kind of fun like being able to make a short character and try and make advantage take advantage yeah. of that um and that's that's the line almost nobody crosses right they yeah. all have character customizers but they're it's always like but it never matters yeah. it never has any effect so um uh sex doesn't matter like biological sex doesn't matter but your height and weight does oh, so cool. um and there are you know male bodies and female bodies you can you can choose between and i only put that as a caveat like if you were worried about playing this in front and worried that someone might see a boob you might see <laughs> a boob um but so in, in arena mode you create uh, an initial character and they are your manager 
you can also play with them but they are the manager of like a team of arena fighters and then you're basically a hub area which has a shop and a roster access and things like that and you can um recruit there's two kinds of people you can recruit basically you can you can go back to the character creator and make more characters which are cheaper but they are essentially you so they are essentially player characters and when you go for an arena battle that's the one you will be so you can only ever deploy one of them at a time and if your manager dies uh the game is over your run is over through the the arena so you might want to have a secondary backup character to be the the person that does a lot of the fighting and then as you get money you can hire npc fighters that you if it's a one-on-one bout that you're entering uh you will have to just watch them fight because you don't get to control them but you also have like team battles where you would have multiple of them fighting alongside you and then you enter these uh events basically uh which range from uh fist fights to um one-on-one duels to like tournaments essentially like where you've got to fight multiple opponents in a row to um sort of mass sort of royal rumbles where everyone's fighting everyone else to team battles and um any injuries incurred in that in those games in those in those battles um persist so your team gets injured and then the same thing is sort of true that the yellow red damage will ultimately kill them yellow damage will ultimately only knock them out um so you can be knocked out or killed and then Every time you do a fight, I believe time progresses slightly. It's not really clear what it is that advances time, but that sort of cycles the items that are available in the shop and people slowly heal. So you leave people on the bench for a while to heal them up. They, you level them up, you buy them new equipment, you kind of build this little sort of team of, uh, gladiators. It's very lightweight as management games go, but I've actually enjoyed that a little bit more than the RPG because it's provided a sandbox to learn the combat system in and it's made me a lot more capable with it. Um, and also there's something quite, um, fun about building this little squad and then trying to navigate, like the team battles are fun because you're trying to navigate that physics system. Cause you're going to be, presumably you can hit your own team. Yeah. While trying to avoid hitting your own, uh, teammates. And I found that my favorite weapon, my favorite cheap weapon in the game is the, is the metal pipe. And so like, there's a lot of like, and now I'm getting reasonably good at it. So I can sort of like navigate these multi-man melees and try and p- pick your positioning and things. And all the physics kind of play to its advantage because you end up in situations where you get cornered and you have to like literally push your way out via one person while trying to use them as a human shield against the other people who are also trying to kill everyone else. And that's actually quite, quite fun really. And then um, to its credit, when, when the simulation kind of kicks in, it is kind of like entertainingly brutal, like someone tripping over in an arena fight and then getting mobbed and kind of like beaten up or like when you do, I think the core to the combat system really is, stepping in as you strike and stepping back again to get out of range for a counterattack. Like if you can start nailing that, you start to learn. Because the interesting thing is like when you're moving around, when you're stepping, it is more like stepping. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever done any sort of boxing or, or martial arts or, or fencing, like I used to fence. And doing a step in real life is more turn-based than you think really. Like people don't glide in real life, right? Like lunging and jump, like moving definitively forwards and backwards takes energy to do. Obviously if you're, if you're unimpeded, you can walk and run 
Obviously, we're talking about <laughs> facts from facts. the Crit and Crowbar podcast. <laughs> but what I'm saying is stepping in and stepping out are quite definitive movements in real life. Yeah. And because of the physics of this, that actually simulates that. Like, you can't, you don't slide back and forwards. Yeah, most games you are a, a capsule collider that is sliding smoothly according to acceleration rules that doesn't, yeah. doesn't go in discrete steps. Yeah. Right, whereas in this, you step in, you step back out. And so you've almost got, to, and you've got to account for a delay on those actions, which I think when you first start playing it can make it feel sluggish because you press W or whatever to step in and your character is going to push with their leg and then put their legs forward to do a step like one does in real life and that just takes a bit more time and it's a bit more yeah and so knowing like you know and then there's a timing so you hold the mouse button to bring a swing back but you can't hold it indefinitely so it's not that you hold it and then release you you hold it to begin the sort of wind up and strike so a lot of it is learning how to time and this again doesn't feel 100% right but it's like you learn how to time the timing on your steps with the timing on whatever weapon you're carrying so it's like step and swing and then if you get that right you'll step in and swing in just about enough time to give your swing extra momentum and when that connects like with the side of someone's temple or something and causes their head to kind of like snap back and they fall over unconscious it feels great but it also feels slightly unrealistic again because in real life your body can handle timing your arms and your legs at the same time <laughs> yeah. and this asks you to do both basically mm. and to micromanage that stuff but i do find it kind of interesting and um despite the fact that even getting good at it still makes it look like two drunk people trying to hit each other with pool cues um there is there is satisfaction in like the finesse of like handling a combat situation well and like the finesse of a drunken brawl yeah and like and the fact that your the physicsiness opens up solutions to problems beyond do more damage try and take less damage it can be sort of like i'm going to push into this person to deny them the use of their long weapon and i'm going to then try and angle them so that their their teammate can't hit me and then i'm going to disengage from combat mode and sprint to the other corner of the room and then spin, and then as I spin, try and do a swing so that the momentum of my turn actually carries that hmm. big metal pipe into someone's head. Like, that that stuff actually feels not like any other game I've played, actually, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, quite like it. It's such a... I think I feel like it's one of the checkboxes on the, the back-of-the-box feature list for everyone's naive game design vision. Yeah, like, yeah, why isn't yeah. there an MMO where you can just do everything and be everyone and be everything and go everywhere? And also everything's physically simulated and everything's just real and it's all just works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, this is what happens if you do pick one of those things and devote everything to it and sacrifice everything else. And it's cool in some ways. Uh, yeah, it has some about, drawbacks. Yeah, like the, the idea of, you know, going through a door. Like, how does the game know that to switch off various aspects of the physics system just because you're going through a door because a door isn't just another thing in the world like there's so many things they've got to like sort of yeah it is hard do like, to make it behave and obviously in real life tripping over is a thing that does happen <laughs> and like you know there's um but is it fun it is kind of fun like it's punishing in but- real life i think that happens in my real life quite often is i trip on nothing at all <laughs> but but i also recover like i don't fall flat on my face i kind of like my, my foot inexplicably just hits the ground in a way that yeah. is not conducive to walking <laughs> and i'm stumbling for like half a second and then i'm fine again and then i, I fall over the ground while standing you completely see that? still <laughs> yeah i had a moment um a couple, i was at a uh i was at an office uh office warming party um <laughs> and um and i this is this is just maybe in in defense of exanima right how real <laughs> physics works and I was stood next to a radiator, like one of the small sort of like, you know, two foot high 
uh, uh, wall-mounted radiators chatting to a friend. And I was leaning, uh, and I, I was stood with my, my feet crossed because I decided to stand like that and leaning against the wall. And with my feet crossed, I got the back of the heel of my shoe stuck under the bottom lip oh, of the I've radiator done yeah I've and, done that. and this and then the, the fact that this is hard to describe purely audibly but because my feet were crossed this functionally meant that i was completely <laughs> locked the other I'd, foot i'd completely i'd locked the other foot <laughs> so they're basically like i couldn't move my free foot um without basically like probably snapping my ankle because <laughs> i would i would basically immediately collapse forward <laughs> counterwards to the way my ankle joint goes um and so but i also but by keeping that foot in place it propped my other ankle up in the place where it was stuck so i basically had just like if it was a game i would have gotten stuck in the geometry like vibrated really <laughs> yeah. intensely and then sprang off making into, minor like, impact noises yeah. and, that, and, and so then falling out of bounds why we're we doing this in your friend's new office yeah right like <laughs> and i mean this is the thing this is i was basically revealing some kind of like speed run hack <laughs> like if you do this you vibrate really hard and then you're on the top floor through like the key locked <laughs> door or something um did you pass out and then wake up later at the same party with people beating with axes <laughs> uh, not at that time um but no but basically i had to turn to the person i was talking to you and said and say hey, can you hold my drink i need to fall over <laughs> because the only the only way out was to basically like fully ragdoll <laughs> because if i went completely limp like i would fall over but with both legs at the same time which was the only way out was to like because it, if i was basically there was no way to get out and re- remain with one foot on the ground because i had to but the only way out would be to twist with both my feet which is traditionally a way of falling on your grass. <laughs> and so I, that's what I had to do. I had to, and I was completely sober and I'd been there for like 20 minutes and it was, <laughs> could a your full... friend kind of embrace you? And <laughs> well, they, they would have had to have cradled me and lowered me to the ground. <laughs> that would be, I, would, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily felt like it was somebody who I could ask that of. <laughs> you could do a cost benefit analysis. Because this is the question, like, I knew this had happened, but it was completely invisible to anyone else. I mean, it's taken a while to explain, so I can see why. So I'd have to turn to them and say, I'm sorry, for for physics reasons, I need you to cradle me and lower me to the earth. (laughs) Because otherwise I'm going to break my ankle by standing up. And and so what I did was just say, like, can you hold this a second? I need to fall over. And just sort of, like, went bump onto the ground and then sort of freed my legs and just stood back up again immediately. And, like... I just refused to explain it to anyone else at the party who noticed because it was because it wasn't worth the time. It was like I managed to get stuck. I freed it now. Like it was like typing forward slash stuck in an MMO and being teleported like four <laughs> feet forward. Um, and so because that has happened to me, maybe I'm more willing to forgive X Anima's their of target audience physics issue. <laughs> their foot stuck in a radiator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like people who've experienced real life physics issues, basically, yeah. like. I, so we sometimes get the question to the podcast of like, what is your dream mashup or like, what developer would you assign to pick up some other developer's game? And mine is now Naughty Dog to pick up this game <laughs> and like finish it because they are like masters of polish, but also, uh, especially with, um, uh, Last of Us 2. Uh, some of the stuff I showed there is very focused on like dynamic animation and making sure mm. like whatever's happening to your character in, in the sort of gamey free 
uh, movement stuff is reflected in a very realistic and convincing way in terms of all that stuff we're talking about, about what your subconscious does, how your hands reach out and brush past things and how your body contorts and stuff. So I feel like that's their area of expertise. And if they could just somehow plug that into this, (laughs) give them $1 billion in 18 years. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll make a game where you don't fall over yourself while trying to get the door. Yeah. I think, I, I think the, the alternative is, would just be to establish this is a game about being super drunk. And yeah, just everyone's drunk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone says a zombie. Zombies, it's okay. I think if you, if you were a zombie, it would make more sense. Yeah. Like, um. The old zombie game. There's the two classes, zombie or drunk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, what have you been playing, Tom? Uh, I have finally played Fire Emblem, uh, Three Houses. Um, which is my first Fire Emblem game. And I've always wanted to play it because I'm very, very interested in this like overlap between story stuff and tactic stuff. You know, that's, uh, it's kind of a holy grail in that it's something that, um, is rarely de- combined well. And so it's been very educational to see how that's done. It's, it's nuts. <laughs> like, uh, I have also chosen Black Eagle House, um, Correct. as I did Chris, uh, which uh, basically, you know, I mean, all you really have to go on is, is the, people in it mm. like and and so i just looked at the roster of people and just decided i liked that batch of people better than the other batch of people um, there's there's no one in black eagle house whose voice acting sounds like like a sad dog toy deflating <laughs> and then that is one of its main strengths <laughs> <laughs> so it, i mean the thing that i wasn't, wasn't ready for is just the, the size of the cast like yeah. it's, so there's nine people in my class and when i go to battle i just take all nine of them there's just 10 of us <laughs> like and then there's obviously three houses as the title implies, and each of them has nine people. And even if you don't play as those, that those are characters in your world who you're going to talk to and have relationships with. And so that, that straight up is like 27 people. And then there's the faculty staff. There's like at least another 10. There's about 40 main characters just that you're going to regularly see. And I guess when you're writing that many characters, they do a good job of like, they are distinct. There's, mm. they definitely have different personalities, but when you're trying to come up with 40 distinct personalities, they get kind of niche. Like there's one person in Black Eagle House whose thing is just, they're tired. <laughs> That's their personality. I'm just sleepy. I find him one of the most relatable characters. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, certainly I've been tired. <laughs> Uh, but like when you're writing a character and you like i know what the brief is like in these situations you get told like okay we need you to write we have 48 different lines the character has to say i want you to get across the character's personality in each one of those so he has to get across i'm tired and like his level up (laughs) spiel (laughs) just like i could be sleeping right now (laughs) one of his um uh, one of his like kill lines is like it's pretty embarrassing to be killed by me i'm very tired My <laughs> heart, you rogue or it's, wizard, it, and it's obviously uh, you are the whole conceit of the games. You're training these people, you're improving their their stats and stuff, which is kind of what you're doing in RPG normally anyway. But this focusing on it gives them lots of excuses to basically make bars go up, and that's inherently satisfying. And the fact that you're making everyone better at, at all these different things all the time uh, feels good. I had one mission where I almost gave up on the whole game <laughs> because i think the level the the level design is not at all i imagine much more of a, like a battlefield kind of thing um uh sort of open uh field of combat and it all being about use of abilities and stuff and it's much more like level design it's that mm. there is very very designed levels that don't really map to real to convincing spaces just like 
it's old school level design. It's, it's how you used to design a dungeon and um, or tile based, a battlefield yeah. uh, back in the day before anyone cared about representing real places. <laughs> and so it's just, this is going to be a level with two different paths. And this is a level that introduces teleporter pads and it tells you about them. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. And it points them out to you and it's like, uh, you're trying to, you, the boss you're trying to defeat is a death knight and it's been, it's really built up that this death knight is a big deal. And like I say, you've got this huge horde of people, nine fucking people. Um, and you can go left or right. And I, I spent time, you know, just panning around the map, examining it, seeing how it all worked. And I could see the teleporter pads would get you to this other chamber that had a chest in it. And then from there, you could go into like some other chambers also with a chest in it. And then the left route led, led you directly through normal space to the actual boss. So I was like, okay, I can see I can go get some bonus chests if I use the teleporters. But actually, this Death Knight has been bigged up a lot. I really want to make sure I just win this mission. It's one of the big plot critical ones. I'm just going to take all nine of my people to the Death Knight. Uh, along that route are several locked doors. And to open a locked door, you need a key. And uh, there are like two locked doors along the way. And I already had... I actually brought a door key with me to the mission. So you can buy them from the shop. They work yeah. in every door. I think it's might... a weakness of the keys, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I ever bought one. I think I just had one from another mission. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, even with that, I opened two locked doors and then I got to the, like the final group of guards in front of the chamber that the death knight is in. Um, and I used both of my two door keys. I killed all of them. None of them had a door key. <laughs> and now I'm just looking at this fucking locked door with the death knight behind it. And it's, it's got a bizarre aggro system, a bizarre targeting system. You can just shoot through walls in this game for some reason. Mm-hmm. If you have a ranged attack, you can just shoot through walls and enemies will shoot you through walls. Mm-hmm. But also yeah, most yeah. important characters won't go to you. <laughs> they'll just stand where they are and they don't care what happens around them. They'll yeah. Just, that's a classic. They'll sit there a, until they're directly attacked or until you really close to them. Yeah. And so this, Death Knight, like, I'm, it is, so nine characters, I am 16 turns in at this point. So I have made over a hundred decisions to get to this point. Like it is every single person is being moved every single turn. You have to move and decide what action they're going to do. Um, a lot of the time you can't get them to an effective position. So they're just waiting. Other times you've got to figure out what order to do them in. You also want them to be standing near each other to buff their, their relationships. Um, and all that stuff. I've spent uh, probably like an hour to get to this point. Uh, <laughs> and we just don't have another fucking key. We just can't get to the fucking Death Knight. He's in this room and we just can't go there. And now I see that um, there's... Perhaps someone keeps keys in chests if that you, should be locked. If you go the other way, you get more so keys. There's, um there's a bunch of dormant teleporter pads. And when you mouse over them, it tells... Or the cursor over them, it tells you these will be teleporter pads when the device is activated it doesn't say what device but i can see some switches on the other side and i, I kind of knew about that uh but i figured there were ways of getting to the chests and getting out from the chest rooms once you're already in there uh but if they if those were on right now i would be able to skip to the the other side and and all that stuff and so i'm just sitting there i'm not even trying to decide whether i restart the mission or try to salvage it it's the decision is do i restart the mission or do i just stop playing this game forever because <laughs> like, i can't face i don't know if i can face just redoing all of that work just to get just because there weren't enough fucking keys in the fucking level to get through the fucking door through the normal fucking way uh and then just while i'm one of the things i try is there is a uh auto battle option which i, d- I had discovered previously it doesn't I thought it was like an auto-resolve, like just, I give up on this mission, let's do it for me. Uh, it's not, it just takes control of your characters for one turn and you get to say whether you want them to like charge or focus or be defensive or whatever. And so just experimentally, I tried like 
what happens if I tell you to charge right now? What, <laughs> like, what direction do you think I should go? Because if they would go, if they would like intelligently pathfind but all the way back to the start and do all the teleporter shit, then I would be, be happily click that button a bunch of times to make that happen. Uh, but no, they ran just towards the Death Knight and just stood next to the locked door they couldn't open <laughs> and got shot by the, the mages. Uh, I killed all the mages I could kill from, from outside the room. You can't reach the Death Knight, but my archers could shoot uh, most of his, his backup people. And then just while, uh, I started to send like a, I had one person on a horse who I'd borrowed from another house. None of my people can ride horses yet. Um, but this one borrowed student could. So I was sending them back to the, the teleporters. And while they were there, just like soften it up for them, I had my long range archers shoot through the walls to the other path that I sh- should have taken, uh, way back from the start. And while they were fighting those people, my archers are really good and also invested in like super long range abilities. They can shoot from many tiles away. Um, and my star archer was just killing these people, basically, um, like shooting fish at barrel. And suddenly, uh, she killed one and said, you gained a door key. (laughs) So someone in that side of the thing had, I didn't even think about them having door keys. I was just trying to turn on the teleporters. I assumed there were no more door keys in the level, but I killed them through a wall, which makes no sense. And then when I killed them, I got the door key they were carrying, which also makes no sense. (laughs) And then used that to open the thing and then killed the death knight pretty easily. (laughs) That is like a hundred percent accurate. Like I had an issue with that as well, where I ended up having to send my professor, my me character back by himself because he's the only one he can fight almost anything by himself to fight everyone to gain, <laughs> um, but like to weaken them so that people could snipe them through the walls to get oh, right. keys because the person who people who deal the killing blow get the item, and so it's like it's completely appropriate to all of Fire Emblem's logic, <laughs> but it's also completely batshit as yeah, you as yeah. you state i think it that level bizarre. kind of exposes it quite brutally like it very rarely gates you like that like most levels are fairly open and they're you know it's not going to tell you no whereas that one is a, a weird one i'm sure going to buy some door keys after this <laughs> this is the <laughs> actually no i just i've switched my main character to thief now so i think i'll be able to pick the locks in the future yeah as i was thinking while you while you were describing um the the physics game exanima exanima about like i've just been working on a book about sort of early Japanese game industry and how the Japanese RPG came out of Ultima and Wizardry, which were kind of, you know, the earliest attempts to, well, like, or very early, but the most popular attempts to, um, to, to convert the RPG into, into computer form. Mm. But, and I think it's fair to say, I think that they, like Garriott, had the image of making coherent, like physics-y worlds, right? Which he continued to kind of, the later Ultima games just were more and more naturalistic. And, mm. you know, then Ultima, which he didn't work on, but like it, th- that led to Ultima Underworld, you know, and that kind of thing, which were like massively physically, you know, physics led. Whereas the Japanese took sort of Ultima and Wizardry and just went abstract as fuck with it. <laughs> like, you know, you know, it was turn-based battling what can you do with turn-based stuff and you know just rift and rift and rift and you end up with fire emblem where it's just abstractions all over the fucking place which when you've played them all like it like it works in a completely consistent way so you know exactly you know like the boss is always going to stand there until it's it's fire emblem that's what happens you know and there are reasons why you do that but it's just i'd find it really interesting that kind of like these two completely divergent like exanima definitely comes from an ultimate Ultima, yeah totally you know yeah, totally and like they've just come from this single source and they're just completely divergent 
Yeah, there is there is no way to have a perfect tea time in Exanima. You just get it all over yourself. <laughs> Drunken tea time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no. Um, are you enjoying Fire Emblem? Because I was really sure which, yeah. which way you'd come down on it because of the amount of bullshit. I thought you'd hate it. I thought you'd hate it, yeah. No, I'm, uh, so I'm getting really invested in the characters stuff. Um, I, I think I care about, it's that, element of like deciding who you want to be in this world and who you care about from this cast of characters that is so powerful that it almost doesn't matter if the characters themselves are not that great yeah they're, they're interesting none of them are actually someone i would want to be friends with <laughs> like yeah. i'm like you know bioware games sometimes achieve those heights of like i actually really like this person i i, I would yeah. read a book about them i'm you know mm. the character themselves is is interesting um this kind of demonstrates that even if the characters are a bit caricatured and and exaggerated and for example just have one theme each. <laughs> um, i'm sleepy yes and i've just plowed you up uh, i will still absolutely immediately think i like petra and i like dorothea and uh just pick favorites and then pick people i hate i don't like ferdinand um and so he is he's my tank <laughs> he's gonna take all the damage uh, actually that just have happened you, you played with permadeath uh, no, no. I don't even understand how that's possible. Like, from yeah, the way I'm know. playing, like, people just fucking die really unexpectedly, just out yeah, of yeah. nowhere. This mage apparently can one-shot any of us. <laughs> and, uh, I yeah. don't know how I was supposed to know that beforehand, so I'm very glad I'm playing Hence on casual. the rewind function. Yeah, oh, that would rewind functions, though. Um, There's a dragon lady loose in your brain, turns back time. Fair enough. Much so, like share. almost despite myself. Uh, because she's turning back time. <laughs> she's <laughs> finding a way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> three times permission so it's if it's when um you were saying Tom. um yeah despite myself i'm getting invested in these relationships and i've just and also when you gamify it when you say like oh but if you're standing next to petra when you do this attack you'll both get extra points for that so now like okay that's all that matters i don't care if several of you die because i need to be standing next to petra when i do this attack so that we bond over it yeah. <laughs> the thing i really like about it so the other nuts thing about having such a huge primary cast is not only do they have conversations with you, they all have conversations with each other because mm. each of them has a support rank conversation yeah. for when they like each other enough. Yeah. And you have to watch these <laughs> to, in order for that support rank bonus to actually kick in. And I think this is, there's often a lot of, you know, I think one of the reasons that the sort of single emblematic personality trait thing works is because they then, are interesting in combination with each yeah. other. Like I can imagine the writing challenges. What do these two characters have to say to each other? Because like, they need to say something. Like we can't do the traditional game thing of like these characters don't really talk to each other. It's like every single one of them needs to have the seeds of a relationship at least with all of them. And then whether or not those relationships progress is up to the player. But there is something kind of quite good about the kind of absolute kind of massive clashes of personality and the way those are written. And I think also those parts of the games are where the writers hide the weirdest writing. Yeah. Like some of those conversations are just really strange. I love, like, it, there was obviously some... I, I want to imagine that within the studio, somebody who is tasked with writing this conversation said, so for, like, support level C, what level of sort of friendship and bonding and, <laughs> and, and similarity and, you know, connection should we really be representing? And, and whoever's in charge said, oh, no, don't, don't worry about that at all. Just write whatever. Yeah, <laughs> just, like, whatever fits these two characters, just write whatever you think they would say to each other. Does not matter at all how close or how incredibly far away they seem at the end of it. <laughs> right. Like there's, there's, I mean, cause the, the probably, I mean, I'm going to get flack on this for saying this, probably the most annoying black eagle character is probably Bernadetta. <laughs> and like, 
she's quite sweet, but her whole thing, and um, have you progressed your own support rank with her? Because the reason why she's afraid all the time is fucking horrifying. No, I haven't right? got that. Like, you know, it's, it's full on, like, she's had an awful, awful life, and that's why she's afraid all the time. But she is the sort of, the trope of, of the, 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 the shy character who wants to hide. Yeah. And I actually had a bit of a turning point with her, because I, I read it, well, so I think this is maybe unintentional, but, um, the turning point that I had, uh, but I, I saw it as a, as a very, uh, overdone cliche if she's incredibly timid and, and through, because your whole job is to level them up and get them to have success and, and build sort of relationships and, and their skills. Uh, I naturally assumed the arc was going to be, we, we build her up to be, to be more social and, and, mm. um, make friends and stuff. Uh, and I think it's probably going to go that way, but there was just one line she said when somebody else went missing. She just said, uh, you know, has anyone ever considered you might just want to be alone? Like maybe it's just nice to be alone and you don't actually want to be around other people. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> maybe that's your whole thing. Maybe I should just leave you alone. <laughs> right. But like a lot of her conversations with other people are about her being like afraid of them, terrified by them, wanting to hide from them, not wanting to talk to them. And in some cases, like, I think it's a support conversation with, um, Hubert, who is like, like young snape like y-u-n-g yes. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like uh, he's just it's just young snape there's no real way around it and like his conversation with her he like he follows her in order to give her a really simple a bit of advice but he's like following her around the school in like a really ominous way and i think it's he's just there to say like you know oh you forgot your book in the lesson or something like that here it is back but by the time she realizes that she's being followed by the time he finally arrives she's convinced he's there to murder her like completely convinced and like begs for her life and it's kind of like horrifying and then he's like i just came to return this book and then she screams and then it's like hubert and bernadetta are support rank C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i had a conversation with dorothea where um so i've looked at the support screen and you can see in like grayed out what the maximum rank you can have with each character. Yeah. And I, from what I gather, the S rank is kind of the romance ish kind of level. Yeah. Might not true. necessarily be a romance, but it's sort of that. that. Lawsuits in this school, notwithstanding. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm assured there is a time skip. I've played for 18 hours. The time skip has not yet happened. Everyone's still underage. And I'm still their teacher, but I'm assured there is a time skip that makes us all. Have okay. you had the conversation where someone goes, no one knows how old you are. You could be younger than your students. Yeah. I have noticed there's a question mark over my age. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so i like I'm thinking ahead and with my bioware training i'm you know want to keep any romance options open uh for my character and there aren't that many for i'm a female character um and uh the only people i like are all women <laughs> and so dorothy i think is the only romance option that i have at, that's available to me that is actually a character i kind of like and so my support rank c uh scene with her she says like she thinks your character is interfering with her, like dating boys. And, uh, she, without you saying anything, kind of says, you have no right to, to tell me what to do. And then, uh, and let, you know, I'm, I'm not just playing with these, these people. I'm really looking for someone to look after me the rest of the rest of my life, unless you'd like to do that. And then your options are like to chide her or say, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't this option. So I said, okay. <laughs> Honestly. Like, oh, I would like that. And then support rank C and the next support rank C. C yeah, that, that support rank C is, is, I would like to care for you for the rest of your life. Yes, okay, I would like that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other support rank C conversation I had immediately after that was like, uh, Hubert threatening to kill me <laughs> if I ever, uh, do anything to Edelgard. He's like, uh, you haven't done anything yet, but I will kill you if you do. Support rank C. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I've had conversations like that. <laughs> um, like the, um, 
the 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 I, I don't want to spoil anything. The support rank B with Dorothea is even <laughs> more even of imagine. a fucking minefield. <laughs> um, because uh, do you mind if I say a mind like a minor thing about it? That's it's not really a spoiler. It's basically like your love life doesn't seem to be going into a professor. And then, and you can go like, you basically don't say anything. You just, cause you, you're mute. So you just sort of go like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the hand or gesture. Like, yeah. I love you the gesture kind of you do when you just present your you, hand. Yeah. You just go like, <laughs> look at this and, hand. <laughs> um, and then, and then she says something like, it's probably like, you're probably just not experienced enough, uh, with romance. Would you like a little bit more experience? And your only reactions are basically, no, how dare you? And, ellipsis. <laughs> <laughs> what is ellipsis? To be fair, I would, Probably um, ellipsis in that Yeah, and, I, and so, so you can only, uh, and you can't, you can't say that's not appropriate, or <laughs> you know, we're in a school, or or whatever. You can just, um, you know, Dorothea is strategically one of your eighteen-year-old students, but like it is this sort of, you, but but you don't want to choose. No, I hate this, and you. Yeah. So you choose ellipsis, and you just go like, it's uh, bang then. <laughs> no, and then she goes, look at my hand, and she says, and she says something like, oh, professor, when will you start reacting to things? <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the scene ends like nothing nothing happens it's just like oh professor why do you why do you get paralyzed and it's like because I can only think of two things to say <laughs> it's such a weird game it's such yeah. a weird it's, game like they've really turned up the weirdness because like I played both of the ones on 3DS and like I recognise everything you're saying like it's all the systems all had the, like the previous games had this there but like this is kind of just like put it in a school and then what happens in oh Jesus yeah. Christ. Immediately after someone gets kidnapped, there's a fishing competition in their honour. <laughs> yes. And you can you can win great reputation with them by finding the massive trout they can't remember they wanted. <laughs> and then you can talk to someone nearby who just looks at you and goes, This whole fishing competition is a massive fucking waste of time. <laughs> what are you doing? You're like, I don't know. All right. It goes on for multiple weeks too. I've already participated and then I like two weeks later I, I went I did the explore option again and still everyone is just talking about the fishing competition all the time everyone I talked to was like oh your fish is bigger than mine I don't know you didn't need to catch a four star fish <laughs> oh, no, I don't Three want to years I, um, I, I got the mega fish on my f- the first go with the fishing bait and so it ended the fishing competition immediately so I turned around and everyone was like oh I guess it's done then <laughs> you've ruined this professor uh it's yeah I, it's, I imagine we've talked about it quite a lot on the podcast now and it's people who don't know what it is or might not play it none the wiser about why this is somehow amazing but it is basically great um yeah i'm really surprised tom likes it it should i be. am surprised tom likes it because there's quite a lot of <laughs> completely extraneous bullshit <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, i mean i like turn-based uh tactical games on grids and leveling up characters and and investing in characters yeah and this the new thing that this has that i haven't had anything else is this uh how those characters bond and leveling up those relationships it has all of the addictiveness of an rpg grind where you're making these incremental improvements all the time and fucking hell this game makes incremental improvements all the yeah. every single attack you ever do cuts to a level up screen that shows yeah. those bars filling even if you yeah. didn't level up it's just like did you know you got two more points in your bow skill for that even if you miss you got like, here's your two points for your bow skill. You get hit, you yeah know. someone shoots you and it's like <laughs> here's your two more points here's your reward <laughs> But that plus, like, and then also, this next shot is going to kill them forever. <laughs> <laughs> that plus, it's feeding into relationships between those characters, and of course, that yeah. that has all that combinatorial thing of like, you know, this character and that character. I'm heavily invested in me and Petra, somewhat invested in me and Dorothy, because I guess that it goes further. Um, and then everyone else is is just kind of like happenstance and just uh, like my healer 
and my tank are going to have a relationship because that person's healing them a lot. And then that is this something that you're, you're that you're specifically interested in? Because like the previous games had like revolved around the idea of you had some strong, you only had a one strong character who could generally tank for you and they could just deal with stuff. But leveling being what it is, they would get hardly any XP for it. Hmm. Whereas, um, and then you had a weak character. If they get hit once, they're going to die. So the game was all about inching forwards, letting your weak characters get as, do as much as they possibly can to get lots of XP and just have the strong characters yeah, to mop up. So that's in this. Is, is Pretty much. It's a little bit more forgiving because, um, I feel like weaker characters can do more, generally speaking, yeah. like the combat techniques and stuff. There's, yeah, like range is a huge deal. And yeah, I found okay. most of the game is just figuring out, okay, if my, if this archer shoots this mage, they will take a bunch of damage in doing so. They'll kill the mage, but they'll take a bunch of damage in doing so because they're both range. They both have the same range. But if I use this other archer who's high enough level to use the curved oh, shot, they okay. can stand just in this one tile that's slightly at a range that this mage can't attack from, and then I get to kill them for free, zero damage. Mm. And it's just been all about figuring out those combinations. And so far, it's very heavily balanced towards archers because the archer combat arts all... Well, a lot of them have longer range than anything else. Um, and if you can hit someone when they can't hit you, that's just free. And yeah. everything else costs but you, a but lot. You, like, do you, do you feel the pressure on you that, like... Your your arch is getting mega powerful, but the rest of your troops aren't getting it. Well, the weird thing is, um, so like my healer's doing fine. (laughs) Um, my, I have like Edelgard, who's like the leader of my house. Uh, she's like, has an axe and is very powerful in close combat. So she's the only close combat person who really gets a lot of XP because she's actually useful. Ferdinand, who I hate, (laughs) (laughs) uh, he's this Lance guy. I, I actually didn't start using him as a tank. It was just through sheer chance. He just always took the hit. Even if he wasn't the first guy, like people would seek him out, go round all our troops and just pick on Ferdinand. And I kind of hated him anyway. And I was like, okay, great. This is, <laughs> this is fine by me. Um, and so he is like a running joke. He never gets a hit in. He's just like, he, he's too slow to get to the front line. Everyone else, you know, have more important troops. So I, I field first and then he can never catch up with them. And then people still seek him out and he takes all the damage as well. And <laughs> uh, that's fine because he's an arrogant ass. <laughs> my uh, Ferdinand is the only guy who has a horse and um, his uh, he has a battalion of monks who can uh, cheer to make <laughs> a huge radius of people much much faster like twice the speed so he uh, and then he because he's on a horse he gets to move after doing an action yeah so he m- moves into the bulk of all of my other students his monks go, hooray! And then he moves forward again and then stays there. And then everyone else basically just like speed runs like, ah, nice. all the way up the board, basically. It's really good. My it's Ferdinand fun. is on course for a horse, as they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on course for a horse. Because fucking, I didn't realize how important lances were until way too late. He's the only one who specializes in lances. And if you want to be on a horse, you've got to be good at lances to pass the exams. <laughs> um <laughs> And so oh yeah, the, you have exams now. He's the only one who's oh, fucking the first time I encounter the Dark Knight, uh no, Death Knight. Um the first time you encounter them, it's not the objective to kill them, but it's an optional thing. Mm. And in fact you're advised not to. Yeah. Uh, it's but hard. I, I sort of moused over them to see like 
because it has a little icon saying they have an item on them. And I mouse over the Death Knight to see what, what item do you get for killing a Death Knight? You get a Dark Seal. Ooh, mouse over the, the Dark Seal. What is that? It's an exam certification. <laughs> <laughs> it allows you to become a bad wizard. Uh, Mr. Francis, I can see uh, that you've got uh, this uh, certification. I believe, I believe you would like to take the Dark Driving test. <laughs> <laughs> It's mostly cool drifts. <laughs> Switch on your headlights now. Or don't. This is the dark driving test. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's a good game. Yep. That doesn't make any sense. Good weird game. So we've we've ended up talking about video games uh, for longer than we normally would at this point in the podcast. In addition to uh, moving house, holidays and the time I fell over. Um, for for that reason we're actually running a little bit short on on recording time because of the hour that it currently is on the Wednesday yeah um, well hopefully not because otherwise we've got a bigger problem but um, but yeah so we're actually going to give questions a miss this week I'm saying that's like it's a question it's not it's a statement Um, partly also because uh, because of the the weird timing of the last couple, couple of recordings uh, the the recording dates are a bit squashed together, so we haven't had, got quite like the the pile of questions we normally would at this point. So for that reason, we'll be back with them questions from questions uh, next week. Uh, and for the time being, uh, the best thing to do if you have any questions would be to email us at questions in creating crowbar dot com. Uh, if you would like to, I'm, I'm segueing into the intro, and I feel rather self conscious because I feel like I've just started talking, and neither of you have said anything. <laughs> so I'd like to like open. We're nodding our heads. I'd like to open the floor now to any tangent I'd like to insert <laughs> at this point because I feel a little bit strange going directly into the outro. I should, I should have prepped some tangents. I, I guess I semi answered a question that we get often get earlier about the crossover development thing. So I feel like I've done my questions duty. <laughs> I'm glad that you've managed to find a way to make your peace with this. Time. <laughs> yeah. I'm struggling, um, because of habits dying hard. Alex, would you like to just say something irrelevant? I used up all my words. Okay. <laughs> well, if, in that case, if you haven't used up all of your words, you can email us words to questions at creatingcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at crate and crowbar which we do check honest even though we almost always take our questions from email so that's probably the better place to send them youtube that's youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar and thank you as ever to our patreon backers um whom uh money and support make podcast go Uh, i think that's how that works uh if you would like to find the community on discord you can find them on uh the link on our website creatingcrowbar.com god this feels weird why am i such a <laughs> slave to the format um and then finally uh we are on twitter as individuals uh my handle as they say is c thurston that's c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n i will perhaps tweet once every two to three months <laughs> Tom? Uh, i am at pentadact p-e-n-t-a-d-a-c-t uh, I'm going to point towards my website just in case you want to read the thing I've done about oh, yeah. Spelunky. Uh, my website is the same as my Twitter. Oh, rotational, R O T A T I O N A L dot co dot UK slash blog. And your Twitter is rotational dot co dot UK slash blog. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks, thanks. for listening, everybody. everybody.